And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. Chris, how are you doing today, man? Ecstatic, man. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about the history of the Friday the 13th series. <laughs> um, it's As we teased at the end of the last episode, it's been on the docket for a while, and given that we are airing this episode on August Friday 13th, um, that's not a sentence, um, but <laughs> I'm excited to dive into it nonetheless. Um, as usual, uh, at, when we do a filmography or we do a series... Um, we're going to be looking at the entire span of it, but we are going to be diving deep specifically on three movies. Um, so I will introduce the movies and then we will kind of get into our histories with the series and then we'll just dive in from there. Um, so for the good, we have chosen Friday the 13th Part 2 from 1981, directed by Steve Miner. For the bad, we've chosen Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan from 1989, directed by Rob Hedden. And for the what, we have chosen Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning from 1985, directed by Danny Steinman. Um, and then I'm going to ask you here, Chris, your history with the series, but I should also note for our listeners before we get started, we are going to do this chronologically mm -hmm. since it makes sense talking about the series. So instead of going good, bad, what, this week we'll be going good, what, bad. Um, but without further ado, I want to kick it to you. What is your relationship? What is your history with the Friday the 13th franchise? Uh, sure. I, I always loved horror movies growing up. Uh, it, uh, you and I are very much the same uh, in that regard, is, is that it's still my favorite uh, subgenre of films. Um, but in terms of Friday the 13th, I believe my introduction was uh, part three that I watched on, on like late night TBS or something, um, which was something I did regularly. We weren't able to get access to R-rated movies, so then I would have to get up late at night after everyone had gone to bed and try and find an R-rated movie that was on TV, so it's already edited. Um, so that's how I stumbled across part three, um, which we'll get to and we'll discuss more in length. But I remember um, there's a scene at the end of the movie after uh, all the shit's gone down, She's in the, uh, you know, pretty much the iconic ending of, to a lot of these movies. She's in the canoe in the lake and she sees Jason um, from the, the window of the second story of the house without his mask on. Um, with Like he's got a pretty terrifying look on his face, like sees her through the window. And then the next shot is him like booking it out of the house and like sprinting towards her. And that little sequence of shots uh, terrified me and gave me nightmares for a, a very, very long time. Um, it's an effective scene. Yes. Like we'll get into it more. And I think, you know, not to jump to a head. I don't think either of us are crazy about that entry as a movie, but that might be one of the single most scariest moments in the franchise itself. Yeah. And there's just something about daylight. If you could pull it off in the daylight and make it scary, it's just way more effective. Oh, so yeah, that shot has lingered with me for sure. Yeah. And I mean like the, the rest of the series of the movies is pretty spotty. I didn't really get into them and delve into them probably until late high school, early college is when I went and actually watched more entries in the series. But 
Um, I, that's always been sort of a high note and like a really good memory for me from you know my childhood of watching scary movies. And so um, to some degree, the Friday the 13th series holds some special spot in my heart. But uh, I'm curious to see what your uh, uh, relationship is with the series as well. Absolutely. Um, mine is way, way, came way later even than that, um, because I was definitely more of a Nightmare on Elm Street kid, um, because I had seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I was excited to rent it, I think, when I was 11, 12 years old, where, like, I had friends over and we watched it, and then another friend, like, their dad bought like all of them on VHS in like one of those like Walmart bargain bins. So like we'd have sleepovers and watch the Nightmare on Elm Street series constantly. So with that context, it probably will not surprise anyone to say the first Friday the 13th movie I ever watched was Freddy versus Jason. I had not seen a single Friday the 13th movie. I was just stoked because it was the new Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And like I and I knew in the ether, like I'm like, I know who Jason is. I know what the Friday the 13th series is is but i had never actually seen any it wasn't until the 2009 remake um because i was working in a movie theater at the time and we were gonna be running it uh that i decided hey i should probably watch some of these movies so i only watched the first one and somehow stupid me at the time did not know that jason wasn't the killer of the first one Mm -hmm. somehow i did not know that at that time and i was like wait when does jason show up and then it never (laughs) happened and i was like well, that was stupid, and we'll, of course, get more in the first one, but I was just, at the time, was like, what the fuck? Um, So I didn't, (laughs) it wasn't until college that I really watched the sequels, and and I'll be honest, at the time, when I was in, like, college and in my early 20s, I didn't like this series very much. I thought they were pretty stupid, I thought they were, like, really, like, bottom-of-the-barrel horror, like, when when people say they don't like horror movies, or they say they're trash, or whatever, like, the like i feel like these were the movies that people think of when they're thinking Mm -hmm. in that vein and that may still partially be true however as i've gotten older i've at least appreciated like where this series lands in the history of horror i sort of appreciate their simplicity i appreciate their sort of lack of pretension um that they're just like hey we're cheap thrills we have like gore and we have boobs and like enjoy it and i know it's beloved to a lot of people because we also have to talk about like accessibility whereas like a lot of Mm -hmm. we do live in this age of like when you have awesome accessible boutique blu-ray labels like arrow video and like vinegar syndrome and severin films who are putting out these like video nasties that probably weren't as easy to come by in like the late 80s and early 90s whereas the friday the 13th series despite all their like you know sort of neuteredness as far as like horror fans are concerned they were put out by major studio they were put out by paramount so it's like you could find them at your local video store you could find them late at night at cable as you watch part three for the first time so it's like these movies were accessible to like young horror hungry people so i've more or less come to appreciate and understand its place and even enjoy some of them myself um but yeah i came way late into the friday the 13th series i guess is my long-winded way of saying i i didn't really like come to it until i was an adult what i'm glad you touched on a lot of points in there that i, I was hoping we were going to get to over the, the course of the talk it, it, talking about again the accessibility of the series i think is super super important um mm-hmm. like you said and uh, also just not having seen the first uh, Friday the 13th, like there's still people who haven't seen the original Friday the 13th that they think Jason is the killer. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just because Jason as a character is so far beyond, you know, I mean, there's people that don't even 
probably aren't even familiar with the Friday the 13th series, but they understand and they recognize a hockey-masked machete or chainsaw-wielding killer. Like, like mm-hmm. that imagery is so iconic. And th- that can't be understated. Uh, I mean, of the movies that really... I would say that you could argue that there's three, uh, and you could say four, though I think I would probably disagree on some level. Uh, big uh, horror series movies, especially in the slasher genre, and those being you know Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th. Uh, those are like the iconic killers. Like Even if you're not familiar with the series, you know Michael Myers, you know Freddy Krueger, you know Jason mm-hmm. Voorhees. Um, and uh, the fourth uh, audible, I'd say, is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, although... That series is not nearly as successful as the previous three that I had mentioned. Um, well, they keep trying to make Leatherface the sort of mascot because he has a mask or at least someone's face where it's like it's not it's it's the whole family. So they right. they've made a mistake, I guess is what I'm saying. Even yes. though, yeah, we we talked about at least some of that series. But I think back in episode four when we mm-hmm. talked about Texas Chainsaw Two. But yes, I would agree. Yeah, I I think you're accurate in saying that. Looking at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series, they made a mistake. Um, but in those mistakes were part two, four, three, uh, every single No, one. no, not part two. You, but, you okay, keep part two out of your mouth. <laughs> part two is great, but. Not around here. Um, three on, three on, three sure. On. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but back to the, the Friday the 13th series, I think, let's just jump into the first one. And I know that that's not any of the good, bad, what's that we've chosen, but we would be, you know, remiss to, to not mention it, uh, mm-hmm. and, and talk about what what I think, you know, sort of set this one apart and, and made it important. I think um, it's pretty well known uh, that the, the first movie uh, was, I believe, was it shot in 1979 or was it shot in 1980? It came out in 1980. I don't know exactly which year it was filmed. I know that they, they shot it over like three weeks or something. Like it was like a stupid quick, like we got to we got to churn this out um, right. sort of deal. And uh, they're, they're shooting it super cheap, so it makes sense that they had such a short production. Uh, but um, it's directed by Sean S. Cunningham, who has very, you know, transparently, very vocally been like, yes, I saw Halloween and saw that Halloween made a shit ton of money. And I went, okay, I'm going to make that movie so I can make a ton of movie. So it's very cynical um, to, to as a filmmaker to be like, I don't really have like a grand vision or an art or something like that. I saw a movie that made a bunch of, like we were just coming off the back of the Jaws ripoffs episode where, go give it a listen, uh, where we talk about this very cynical entry of a filmmaker going, cool, that made money. I want to make money. And then that's the, that's the driving force of making the movie. But I right. think the movie sort of transcends it for a number of reasons. And it, uh, I mean, not um, least of which being, a very young uh, Kevin Bacon in his first role uh, who would blow up in the 80s as an actor. So it, that got some more recognition uh, retroactively for the movie. Um, the uh, excellent, excellent score by Harry Medfordini uh, that is you know, prevalent throughout the entire series in, in, in you know, one way or another. Um, the incredible gore effects uh, that were pretty groundbreaking uh, by a very young Tom Savini who's coming on mm-hmm. this and, and you know still just starting up his legendary career uh, in filmmaking. And then, last but not least, the stinger uh, ending of the movie um, that sort of shoots itself in the foot and deflates itself, in my opinion, when they continue on into more of a tacked-on, psycho-esque scene of explaining what you just saw. Um, As I'm sure everybody's aware of the iconic deformed Jason boy jumping out of the water, grabbing um, our our final girl, Alice, thank you. 
and dragging her back into the water. Um, scared the shit out of audiences. Scared the shit out of me when I watched it the first time. It's it's an yeah. effective little shot. Absolutely, and and I I would say last thing because you're you're right it's notable for all of those reasons and even though yes the the cynicism is really well known about that movie i would say while the meat doesn't match something like halloween or black christmas which was also in that yes. similar I, I i have to at least commend i think the at least technical ingenuity and camera work and craft at yeah. least does a pretty good mimicry and it's like if you are going to mimic something like why not go to the top shelf with it so i do think that like the lingering pov does add a lot to the movie mm-hmm. and i think that of course like the gore gags and whatnot add a lot i don't think it's a successful a movie as halloween black christmas or even some of these movies that we're going to talk about in the friday the 13th franchise but it did start it all and mm-hmm. like there's definitely a lot of craft there and yeah like you said that final shot um is iconic and it's it's is genuinely terrifying um which probably leads into, I would say, the first of many sort of confusing both timeline and logic jumps that the series does make. If we oh want boy. to start with part two. Because um, part two, um, I think even famously, because because uh, Tom Savini, you already mentioned, of course, young mm-hmm. Tom Savini, who would go on to, to blow up is in the horror special effects community after Friday the 13th, who didn't come back, I think, until part four. Right. Um I think they wanted him back for two and he's like, wait, Jason's going to be the killer in this mm-hmm. one. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And I think a lot of people were under that impression at the time. They're like, wait, he was this little boy and now he's this big imposing six foot two or taller guy. That yeah. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, whether it makes sense or not, it ended up being probably the most important decision that the series made and was probably the, the absolute most important to its longevity. Uh, because, you know, in this one, of course, Jason is sans his hockey mask. He does mm-hmm. not get that until part three. He wears a paper bag on his head in this movie. Um, but we already have, like, a confusing timeline because we, we open with a, a um, in part two, we open mm-hmm. with the uh, flashback to the ending of part one, uh, which would define parts two through four. Yes. Very flashback heavy. Um it had to be to pad out runtime, right? I mean, these movies are so short. Oh, it's yeah. like, oh shit. Well, we and they get add. longer and longer every time because they the like, flashbacks. They do a flashback <laughs> in part three. They do a flashback of one and two, and then in part four they do one, two, and three. And it's just like, guys, eventually you're just not gonna make a new movie. It's just gonna be a clip yes. show. Which I realize if I was if I was sitting watching them in a theater in 1981 two and four i might be a little bit forgiving because it's like oh okay it's been a year and it was before the home video market really exploded but especially like i've come to marathon these at least like every other year and i just marathon these last october when Mm -hmm. scream factory put that box set out so like watching them in order and watching with my wife who had never seen them before i think by the time we got to four she's just like okay we get it enough (laughs) with the flashbacks so when you watch them back to back you're like oh okay like you could just fast forward them oh yeah um but Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, um, I know we're jumping all over the place here oh, yeah. and that, but it, but it's it's to me this is where the series becomes a series. Really, oh, yeah. I think like it, it as as a sort of meat and potato slasher movie. I think it's incredibly effective. I think that um, it actually has some unique subversions, and and we should mention like we're gonna spoil this whole series. So like if you haven't seen these movies, that like 
go back and watch them. I highly recommend them. You know, maybe spend the day here on Friday the 13th to watch them or wait till October, come back and listen to the episode either way, but we are going to get to spoil them. Um, but it, I mean, it does some creative things. I mean, we, like I said, it starts with a flashback and then we see Alice. It's like two months, I think mm-hmm. after the first one. And she's like, she's got PTSD from the events of, uh, being, uh, you know, attacked by the young Jason. And then of course, before that decapitating, uh, Pamela Voorhees and, um, and you, you assume, given these series, uh, usually how they go, you assume that we're going to be following Alice again through right. this movie, through some kind of, like, whatever, trial and tribulation. And then in a, in a you know, Hitchcockian way, in the first ten minutes of the movie, she's killed. Mm-hmm. She is killed in a pretty brutal and effective way, getting a screwdriver through the temple. Right. Um, but then this it's a little wonky because then after that this is set five years after the events of the first movie which is really muddies the timeline a little bit when it's already a bit muddied but uh essentially the plot of this one and and they're all relatively the same like we're not gonna get too deep in the plots of these movies but this one is basically a camp across from camp crystal lake is popping up for counselors so in typical sequel fashion it kind of doubles down instead of like a half dozen camp counselors from the first one there's like 12 Mm -hmm. or more (laughs) that all go to this camp uh crazy ralph is back tells them that the other group didn't listen they're all doomed and -hmm. you're all doomed um and then of course a lingering vengeance a lingering presence starts to off people off one by one and it is a adult jason Voorhees. Mm -hmm. uh which i mean there's a lot to grapple with there mm-hmm. um in terms of timelines in terms of what it's it's trying to set up and i can i agree on some level with tom savini that like logically it's incredibly stupid because betsy yes. palmer's uh, uh mrs Voorhees, pamela Voorhees's entire um reasoning for going and, and killing everybody in the first movie spoiler uh she was like the she was the cook at camp crystal lake and her son Jason was swimming. It's not clear whether he was thrown in or he was just swimming by himself. And the series itself is not clear on that either. But either way, he's in the lake. He's not being watched because two counselors were off having sex. And mm-hmm. he drowned. She holds them responsible. And in 19... I think it's 1955 or 1958, sometime in like the later 1950s, she uh, kills two counselors who were trying to have sex in a very uh, Black Christmas slash Halloween shot a pov shot of her walking in and and killing them both on on camera um then of course that flashes forward i think you know uh, 20 some odd years until 1980 and then the the events of the first movie happen she is the killer it's revealed at the end and then in her final fight with alice on a beach she gets her head cut off with a machete and then that's the end of, of of her this movie part two posits and, and even has a sort of uh from the final girl uh, uh jenny of uh, part two she's a child psychologist and so there's a, a portion of the movie where she's sort of like they go to a bar and she's speaking to the other characters and sort of justifying jason or trying to be empathetic towards his character and being like well he he was just out in the woods and he he maybe even saw his mom get her head cut off and he's been out there ever since and it's like if this would have happened, he wouldn't have been a child hiding out in the woods, cowering in a bush. He would have been, like, in his early, mid-30s and has been living off the land for, you know, that entire time since the late 1950s, since he was presumed dead from a drowning. 
and just like hanging out and never went and saw his mom and like hey you know i, I didn't die i'm totally like he none of it makes any sense whatsoever yeah it's so it's so strange and they, they even kind of try and go further if i remember correctly in that scene that like saying that like oh yeah he's like an adult now but would still have like the mm-hmm. mind of a child which also doesn't make a whole lot of sense either i mean i guess if you were i guess if you were under the water for that length of time you might have suffered some kind of like brain damage even if you were to make it out alive but like but to to have that but then also like you said live off the land and be able to do it successfully for 30 odd years and not even see your mother but then you get upset because you saw your mother got killed who you would never saw in the last 22 years and it's like how long has she been offing camp counselors who like never got back either so it's like it doesn't make any sense logistically and but i i appreciate that this movie says fuck it and it doesn't and it says fuck it in a way that's not like winking at you either it's just Mm. like this is where we're at now and we're gonna play it as straight as we possibly can um and And it's also a requirement of the audience to also say fuck it like if you're gonna get into and really enjoy these movies which i think is something you said up up top is that these movies are they know exactly what they are and they're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes they're like we're we're here for for blood and boobs and and you know good times and yes as long as you are on that same wavelength even like the dregs, the worst possible movies in this series, will have little nuggets of enjoyability for you. I agreed, and and we'll we'll note that as we go through, because even the bad, um, at least for me anyway, has like <laughs> moments that are enjoyable, and we'll get into that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it is a faith in the audience because like it's both a faith and maybe even some of that cynicism baked into it where they're like it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter as long as the movie is entertaining as long as it does exactly what it needs to do people are going to be very forgiving of the most like silliest like plot threads and i think for the large part it works for Mm -hmm. this movie especially because i think um and we'll get into it i think between this one and then when we get into part five or what where like i i think two through four all follow a very similar template and of course because we're now at a point where jason is the slasher where they feel like okay it's a new group of counselors or a new group of teens who go out in the woods and then they run into jason in some way mm-hmm. and they run into this also issue where it's like even if the last 30 minutes let's say of each movie is like really stellar and it definitely varies from movie to movie all three two through four have this issue where it's like it's got a saggy middle section where like nothing happens people are just farting around at the camp and like having conversations and what i like about two is i feel like a lot of it is this for one this is one of the shortest friday the 13th Mm -hmm. movies i think it's like 86 minutes long and the cold open is like also 10 minutes so like at least half of that is is or half of that cold open is a flashback to the first movie so Mm -hmm this movie doesn't waste any time it's like okay here's the cold open where alice gets killed here's a new group of counselors here they go and it has the least amount of filler and i think even in that filler like you already said where Ginny is talking about like hey what if jason did all this it's actually enforcing some stuff forward and you get to know some of these characters there's like a sense of humor to it um you know this is also maybe one of the more these are horny movies but this one might be the most overtly horny movie yeah. <laughs> they're just like frankly you know i'm talking about like oh save some of that energy that arm wrestling energy so you could wrestle me later <laughs> like sort of thing and so i i think this movie doesn't waste any time and no. and 
the other thing that's sort of like brilliant is we talked about the doubling down of the characters you talk about that bar scene and that bar scene's great they take half of them to the bar mm-hmm. so that you could actually like break up the monotony a little bit to where it's like okay here's like a little bit more quote-unquote plot advancement over here and now jason is starting to kill these campers who are having sex uh throwing the poor guy in the wheelchair down the stairs right. <laughs> like a brutal oh, one of the man. more iconic deaths of the series um and like it, it, it's effective it's like you're both driving things forward while you're also having things happen instead of having everyone just kind of fart around for 30 or 40 minutes which right. i think part three and even part four which i know a lot of people love and i like that movie as well but i think it still falls to that trap of like okay there's a good chunk of this movie where fucking nothing is happening well, and I think there there's also a, something to be said about the setting of part two versus um, uh, part one. And uh, part three copies this, but in a really, really shitty, shitty manner. Um, but in, in the first uh, Friday the 13th, like they're repairing a the, the Camp Crystal Lake. And so there's a bunch of bungalows. Right. There's a separate shower slash bathroom area. So uh, there's the um, uh, there's the. Uh, archery range that's uh, that's on the the campsite and so there's all these different locations that they give reasons for characters to be split up isolated at one of the spots and then they use it as a set piece for a murder when in this movie they introduce the characters and they give them a whole lot of time to be together be talking be theorizing telling a campfire story about the legend of uh, uh of jason Voorhees, which uh myself is one of my favorite tropes in horror movies especially slasher movies i think the fog also uh, did this really well where it takes the horror and contextualizes it in a way of making it like it's very much a scary story that you tell kids around the campfire to like set that mood so to like which not to not to derail spoofed incredibly well in broken lizards club dread yes i just have to throw that out there i think that every time when i see the campfire scene in this movie i think of the club dread scene by now i guess you all know we're the first to return here five years five long years he's been dormant and he's hungry jason's out there and that boy wants me i personally love it when they contextualize it as this is a ghost story come to life I, it, yes. it, it, you you can then I think shed a lot of your reservations and things that you're going to be like that's not realistic by contextualizing it in that way and I think that's like a really excellent brilliant move of them to sort of set the whole thing up like that but Agreed. then like you said introducing a whole bunch of characters um, which is something that also happens later on in the series where this is a glut of characters it's impossible for you to know who everyone is and what their relationships are and then they start getting off and you're like I don't give a shit who these people are mm. I haven't had any time with them so they, they give you time with some of the characters selectively throughout, and then by the time they load them all up into a truck and drive them into town to go to the bar, it's almost relieving because you're just like, okay, yeah. well, a bunch of them got to safety, but then also now I only really need to pay attention to these six people that are left back at the lodge, and like you don't feel as overwhelmed anymore. Um, but there's also just a great shot of the characters getting in the truck, they leave, and then when it leaves and the lights recede off of the, the side of the lodge, um, this is Packenack Lodge, and I know that because I've played the Friday the 13th uh, game uh, quite a lot. Same. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> they drive off, and then there's just a shadow of Jason like walking like in the back of frame, and it just goes across the, the house. And so like it's sort of, you know, you know that he's there, you know that he's lurking, 
Yes. But unlike part one, where they're like, okay, let's move a character to the bathroom and I'll kill it with an axe. Let's move a character to the archery range and I'll shoot it with an arrow. Pretty much all the murders take place in the Pakanak Lodge. And, like, the, the, the dude in the wheelchair gets hit in the face with a machete on the back porch. The couple upstairs both get stabbed through the bed, which is a great scene. Uh, yep. With the the, um, the spear. Uh, and then the, the young girl uh, gets stabbed in the same room with them when she goes to, to try and, like, find them. So keeping it contained within this one house, instead of it being, like, part one where uh, the mystery is, like, where is it going to happen? Where are they going to be? But contextually, you don't know where everyone is at because they just kind of show up in a bungalow. And you're like, is this the same one we saw earlier or what's going on? Mm-hmm. Because it's in the same lodge, you're watching every corner. You're like, it, he's he's somewhere. He's under a bed. He's in a cabinet. He, but he's I know he's like in this space. And to me, it, it elevated it and it made it much more uh, frenetic and, and just kind of nerve-wracking. I can't disagree with that at all. Two things I want to piggyback off what you said. Because number one, I agree with the sort of campfire element story come to life. Especially growing up with like like probably some of my more gateway into horror when I was even younger than when I watched The Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, series things like are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps that have that sort of like element so this is like a more adult oriented version of that so it's like i i'm with you i 100 percent agree on that and number two i'm glad you mentioned that shot of the truck moving away and you just see like jason lit there and the way that this they they kill everybody in the cabin because i think that's a smart sequel way of upping the ante Mm -hmm. where it's like you keep people on their toes because you can't just do the first one again and i think like series horror series have largely fallen into that trap you know like look at halloween for example yeah. like halloween the, the original halloween is is just a, a bona fide masterpiece no bones about it better than any friday the 13th movie but the sequels like drop off considerably because they yes. continuously try to replicate that and mm-hmm. they can't do it whereas this one smartly goes okay we can't replicate that first one so let's do it in a different way so you have someone who's imposing you have it all in the same house and so now it's like you said like there's a formula and and a repetition of the first one where it's like yes they separate people and then it happens whereas now it's just like okay oh shit the person's in the house anybody could get got next right and i think it keeps you on your toes and i think it makes the like you said the scares and the the gore gags so much more effective because they i'm not gonna say they come out of nowhere but they're just more like it could happen to anybody at any given time oh yeah and i mean i think uh it's a formula that also gets uh, uh redone in the series later on successfully in part four where Jason's yeah. in the house, but people are being separated by a room and killed instead of being separated by the, the big campsite. So I, keeping it sort of bottled, I think, ups the tension because he's around the next doorway. He's not somewhere in the next 500 yards. Um, exactly. But the... the uh, and there's even the scene later on in the movie, which like really, like I found very nerve-wracking, and it's kind of scary where... Um, after um, uh, Ginny and uh, the final boy, uh, who is, I'm blanking on his name right now, um, Paul, uh, uh, Ginny and Paul return from the bar back to the campsite. Everyone's dead. They don't know this yet. And they're looking around the house and the power is out. And when they're walking through the living room and the power is out and they're just kind of standing there, Paul's walking like along the far wall and Ginny stops and goes, Paul, there's someone in this room. Like mm-hmm. that line is like, because they don't show Jason yet. There, there's no indication that he's there. And it's yeah. more or less she stops and she has a feeling that, like, there's somebody in this room with us right now. 
and then Jason stands up and you can see like he's along the far wall and then like all hell breaks loose but like that that thing of coming home or, or being in a spot that you think is safe or comforting and knowing that there's an intruder and you don't know where they are is I mean that's sort of the magic of also the Halloween series that they've lost sight of and in the, 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 the series like took a huge downturn is that's what the terror is is you're not safe in the place where you should be safest exactly and they play that so well like and they found a way to make that scene terrifying in an original way just from the standpoint of you already mentioning halloween and we know the famous shot of halloween when laurie strode is sitting there or sitting in the hallway after or the doorway excuse me after she thinks she's doing it and you just see in the background michael myers slowly sit up and so it's like it's kind of similar here but they've approached it in a different way that still makes it fresh and makes it terrifying because like you said like you expect to come home and have everything be okay and then it's not okay right um and then yeah of course all hell breaks loose and uh jenny uses her of course they they set up at least it's like even if it's silly or maybe expected i appreciate in a movie movies like this that are like a, a pretty proudly pea-brained and i don't mm-hmm. like mean that as a knock but just like we're 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 aiming for a certain type of movie that yeah. they at least have set off set up and pay off in a way that at least makes sense of course like you said we introduced that she's a child psychologist mm-hmm. and so like it aids her of course well as her final girl moment because she stumbles into this shrine that jason has made with her his mother's decapitated head yeah. which is like another series iconography but also makes no sense no. Uh, but it's okay you can just roll with it where she just she takes the head and and basically speaks to him as if she was pamela Voorhees, and he stands down immediately because mm-hmm. of his that Freudian nature uh, <laughs> so um yeah it but, but like I, it I, I think this is it works i think this is you know it's funny because i i you know it was always like and, and maybe even when i was younger i just because i didn't appreciate the craft or looked at it because i look at things in a different way now and and you always do when you're learning more about movies where i was like oh it's the one where he's got his bag on his head mm-hmm. like or whatever or like but like i watch it now and i'm like oh no this is actually potentially potentially the best execution of this formula at least of like the pre-zombie jason yes. era this is probably the best sort of execution of it um and i think it's it's um i don't want to say underrated because i think a lot of people like two and i think a lot of fans do prefer two to one mm-hmm. um but i know maybe this is not like commonplace i prefer two to four even which i know four is a fan favorite mm-hmm. but i i think i prefer too i think there's less like i said there's less filler it's a little bit more unexpected um even though i think the good of four is really good yes. uh, it, it has that same it has the same issue that like three has which will swing into three and four for just a second before moving into five of like there's just a lot of filler in this movie yeah i and i i agree with you i i think i do prefer as a whole as a whole presentation i prefer two to four Although, yeah. I mean, there's, of course, stuff that's in 4. I know that it's a fan favorite to a lot of people, and I'm not digging on it at all. I mean, 4, also, I really appreciate it and like many parts of it. But I think, mm-hmm. and it's also important to see, I do want to just quickly touch on, and I'm just going to say up top, this episode might run long because we're talking about 12 entries in the series. So there's going to be a lot of stuff for us to touch on. We're going to meander a bit. But I just thought of this after a comment you made, uh, directly comparing what happened to Michael Myers' character and the the way that that series went versus what Friday the 13th went. And I, I think Friday the 13th, in ironically, 
in trying to rip off and copy Halloween, they understood what made Michael scary better than the Halloween series did. Where the Halloween series, as it goes on, tries its damnedest to explain Michael's motivations. Where, like, you start off in, in two where they're like, well, Laurie Strode is actually um, Michael's sister. And so then they're mm-hmm. actually related and he needs to kill her for whatever reason. And then, you know, Halloween 3 is its own batshit little chapter that, you know, it doesn't really get mentioned with, with the rest of the iconography. But in 4 and 5, it, it deals with his niece. And maybe uh, his insanity is hereditary and has been passed on to her. Or he needs to find her and kill her to fulfill something. And then they introduce the thorn and they go on. And, and like, H2O, he comes back, he has to kill Laurie Strode. And so, like, so much <laughs> of it spends so much time trying to, like, psychoanalyze um, uh, Michael Myers. But, like, why he is crazy is not scary like like trying to come to grips with the human psyche and what would lead somebody to do that's not scary what's scary is a crazed man outside of your house with a knife that wants nothing more than break in and kill you and everything that you love that is what the friday the 13th series did and especially in in part two jason you know, whether or not you know his background and his explanation as to how in the hell he's even there in the first place makes any sense because it doesn't but he's a crazed man in the woods Yep. watching you chasing you waiting for you to be alone and then he's going to brutally murder you that he has is no effective. other motivation yeah and he has no other motivation besides that right. it, it literally is just like if you are out in the woods and you are out on this campground and especially if you were fornicating which is also like a trope introduced by halloween probably yeah. even before halloween but i know halloween sort of fame like solidified that trope sure um, yeah, it, it, and I would agree with that to, to a certain extent, I think. I think that um, because these movies, at least, un- yeah, they understand, even though they're not really, like, scary, like, because they're more fun and, and maybe a little bit more silly, but they do understand that, and they don't try to, they don't try to psychoanalyze it further than this movie, right. I would say. They don't try to psychoanalyze it farther than, like, Jason drowned because of counselors jason is killing counselors for revenge mm-hmm. and that is it whereas like you said yes they try to further michael myers arc um and I, I i didn't want to interrupt because you were on a great point but you mentioned h2o directed by steve minor who did parts oh, two and three of friday the 13th steve. yeah <laughs> so that's that was um, more on the come... side of part three than it is part two yeah i'm not a big h2o fan <laughs> uh, i know it kind of got it's like um um, whatchamacallit, like, uh, it got kind of a pass at the time, I think, but, like, oh boy, that movie's, that movie's pretty rough. And it ends with a Creed song, which is just unforgivable in any decade, so. I think if you're coming off of Halloween Part 6, you, you, like, there's nowhere to go but up. Yeah, I guess that's probably the case. And because they brought <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis back yes. before bringing her back again, uh, got, again, got a, got a pass with people, so. Uh, but anyway, we're not talking about Halloween. We're only talking about it briefly, <laughs> tangentially. Yes. Um, but yeah, part two, I think is to, to me, it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, you know, we'll go chronologically. We haven't hit my favorite yet, but, uh, part two is, I, I think a very close second. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's the best, uh, distillation of this formula, um, sure. especially for one through four. Um, yeah. and I really, and this it. era, Jason of, he's still a man that's yes. in the woods and yep. wants to kill you. Exactly. Exactly. Cause part three we could swing into for a second. Yeah, we'll touch um, on it. We'll just touch on it. I mean, the, the, my biggest thing with part three is, like, 
you know, we, we talked about, you know, your, because that was your entry to the series. Mm-hmm. We talked about that sort of iconic moment at the end of the movie, which is terrifying. Credit where credit's yeah. due. It's, again, probably the most single terrifying moment in the entire series. But this is definitely falls victim to those where it's like, okay, it's, it does shrink down the scope of the characters compared to two. It's kind of closer to part one in the amount of characters that they have. But to, to me, these characters specifically are aggressively annoying. Mm-hmm. They're unlikable. Um, you have to spend way too much time with them. Um, and it's just like, it, it isn't until like when Jason starts killing people in the final like 30 minutes of the movie, does it even start to come alive? Um, I guess maybe it does for a second before that uh, when he kills the like the like punks who are giving them shit in the yeah. like uh, the grocery store and that's when Jason finds the the iconic hockey mask. He gets it from uh, Shelly in the barn. Oh yeah, that's right. He does get it from Shelly. It's, in, d- it's you're a, right. the remake where he gets it in the barn. You're right. I'm mixing the two up because he ki- so th- yeah. I'm getting them mixed up because he. You're 100 right. <laughs> I know. Well, it's that, but also he he kills those punks in a barn. Mm-hmm. He does kill those punks in a barn in part three. He does right. a lot he doesn't get in a mask. barn in part three. Yeah. Oh my god. They go He's back to the barn rent a lot, to be in that barn in part three. But you're right. He gets the mask from Shelley, whereas in the remake he kills that dude in the barn and then he finds it in a haystack. Yeah. You're right. Okay. That's where I'm getting confused because the remake is basically like a mixtape of one, two, and three. One through. Yeah, yeah, basically, um, yeah, it's a mixtape. So that's where I'm getting confused. You're hundred percent correct. He gets it from Shelly, who Shelly Dime Store uh, Jeff Ross. Uh, <laughs> so, God, that character just we spend way too much time with him. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Um, and they almost try to make it, you empathize with him, where like he's he's playing pranks on people. Like they, I don't yes. even know why they fucking invited the guy along because like. Nobody in that group seems to like him, and it's really only like the final girl of part three who is just like, yeah, I know he sucks and he's really annoying, but like we have to be nice to him, and like nobody stopped to ask like why, why, yeah. why don't we just not hang out with the guy? He does nothing but like annoy us, and then he gets confronted at one point, and he's like, I I have to do this stuff. Damn it, Shelly! Why do you do these stupid things? I have to. No, you don't have to just want you to like me. I do like you. But not when you act like a jerk. Being a jerk is better than being a nothing. I never said you were nothing. You don't have to say it. I could tell. It's a bit like a sad character moment. But it's like, dude, if you can like psychologically profile yourself enough to where you can realize, like, yeah, I'm a huge annoying asshole, but I'm not going to change it because I want to be a huge annoying asshole... There's all the reason yeah. that anybody would need right there to never talk to you again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fortunately, he gets he gets the axe. Oh yeah, uh, and so. a pretty satisfying way for his character, where like he gets his yes. throat slashed, and, the, and then the other character is just like, "Oh, Shelly, get your ass up! Like, what are you doing?" And he has to bleed out. Yeah, by they himself. think he's pulling a prank. Yeah, and then, he has yeah, to and then, cry wolves himself to the grave. Yeah, exactly. So part three, it's just, and, and then of course, famously, part three is the 3d one so a lot of the kills towards the end of the movie are like shamelessly uh <laughs> shamelessly tailored to that that's oh, why man. that guy's doing a handstand inexplicably yeah that's why the guy's fumbling with the yo-yo like there's like oh what can we Ooh. what can we do with the screen so um, the at the very beginning of the movie there's like that shop owner who's putting up a pole 
to hang laundry from and the pole is yes. right towards camera frame like so they're just finding any and every excuse just to shove objects towards the screen which yeah. nowadays when you're watching it not in 3d you're like this looks like shit yeah. like that's a yeah terrible terrible excuse to use 3d yeah it's so gratuitous like i mean it was then but now you're right. watching it and you're like yeah well the, you wouldn't shoot it that way if you weren't shooting it for 3d sort of thing so it's so it's so silly um and then of course part four um directed by joseph zito probably the fan favorite one of the two fan favorites mm-hmm. um which i like i mean i think like yeah. you know the most the most famous maybe the two most famous things about the movie or three sorry there's a few more most famous things about the movie i mean it stars Corey feldman um you know so there's it, it, it gets a lot of mileage out of that it's the introduction uh, of, of tommy jarvis who is a the, series Staple, staple yeah, yeah at least the next three move or next two movies after it which we're going to get into more in depth here shortly mm-hmm. um so it's like the, it introduces the tommy jarvis arc um it of course has um oh fuck i blanked on his name not to um, be confused with harley jarvis uh who bart harley jarvis it's just the worst <laughs> the, the worst baby and honestly i can't read anymore i'm done yeah no i'm done i'm done <laughs> just put it in the trash it's over fuck <laughs> you but of course, um, of course, the one of the most famous things about the movie, similar to the first one, uh, having Kevin Bacon, a very young, early mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon. This one has a very young Crispin Glover, yep. uh, who 100% steals the show. He definitely breaks up the monotony yeah. of the like people farting around at the camp. Uh, of course, the most famous being the, the dance scene when he gets up and he does, I don't know what kind of dance <laughs> apparently apparently they had acdc playing on the record player in that scene and so he's dancing to acdc and then they couldn't get the rights to acdc so they just replaced it with some generic shit like pop music so then like he's banging his head to what should be like hard rock and it's not <laughs> it's, it's, yes. it's completely confusing and inexplicable but even the other people on set are like looking at him and like laughing and being like i don't think anybody yeah. expected that to make it into the final cut but then they're just like yeah sure no, and he goes for it with a plum yeah. too. Like, like, like every line he says is hilarious, and I think, I, and I don't know whether it's intended to be funny or not, but it is. Like, when there, there's like the the famous like skinny dipping scene when mm-hmm. when Tommy Jarvis is like, oh, like there's naked women out there, sort of thing, and his mom's like, oh, no, 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 go back mm-hmm. in the car, um, and they're trying to get um, Crispin Glover's character and the other guy, in, and he's like, oh. Oh no, we don't have our suits. <laughs> the way he says it's super funny. Well, or the, the, this is another horny movie. You said part two was horny. Oh, part four. This movie's horny. It's very horny. It's so horny that the doctors are even horny in that like famous oh, opening yeah. uh, uh, sequence from the ambulance, and then and then Jason wrecks shit and in the, the mortician. The hospital. It was like watching. Yeah. It's not porn, but he's like he's watching uh, women in leotards do like aerobicized workouts. Yeah, next and they to start to bang. They're about to bang. <laughs> oh yeah, they and then are. And, until until Jason uh, like wakes up and and fucks them up. Like, yeah, they're they're totally about to bang. Everybody so, in this yeah, movie that, is like on the verge of, of having sex, and then like even uh, young Corey Feldman, who's like you know I don't know how old Tommy Jarvis is supposed to be in this movie, but he's maybe like what eight. 
He's like a young... somewhere between eight to ten, I would say. And yeah. and this movie even features a scene of like sort of his sexual awakening, where he's like going to bed <laughs> and can see across the way some girl who's like undressing <laughs> with the binoculars. With the binoculars, like, and and he's like he like flipping out he's and like so excited. He, he, yeah, he's a kid who has like so much bubbled up excitement. He doesn't know how to express it, so he's just like spastically yeah. jumping around and, and kicking his bed and stuff, which is like. As a, a former young boy, I, I, I recognize that behavior of, like, just being spastic and freaking out and stuff like that. But, like, every character, except for maybe the dog, has a scene of just, like, I'm going to fuck whatever that is over there. And it, like, yeah, this is probably the horniest of the entire series. Probably. Everyone wants to fuck and everybody gets thrown through some semblance of broken glass. <laughs> It's about the biggest things you can count on from Friday the 13th This part This movie and RoboCop. I need to watch them both and see which one has more instances of people thrown through panes of glass. It's a lot. Um, and then, of course, this has, in addition to, of course, Crispin Glover, it's got, like, the, probably some of the, the, the um, you know, most highest iconography. I think the, specifically the, the sort of final the showdown between Tommy Jarvis and Jason and uh, unmasked Jason uh, getting impaled by his own machete and sliding sliding down it which as um, you said tom savini came back for this one specifically because they said that he would be able to kill jason that's why yeah, it's called the final chapter it. it's yeah. part four the final chapter part um, four of, of 12 we, the final chapter <laughs> there there are two movies in the series that have final in mm-hmm. the title and neither are the final no um so well and so I was I was just gonna say the that that scene that final scene of the showdown with Savini's excellent uh, work of the head being split in half is like sliding down the uh, machete. It's another instance in the series of of them using child psychology against Jason to like hurt him because like uh, uh, Tommy Jarvis goes upstairs and shaves his head to look like a young Jason and is able to like yes. trick him into. Whereas Ginny in the second one used the mother's sweater to, to confuse him and be, I'm the mom. He, like, made Jason think that he was young Jason. Which, mm-hmm. like, it, it, I mean, it speaks to Jason is a mindless killing machine. And that what's that's what makes him I, I, iconic and scary as, as a villain. But, like, there are, like, these weird little pockets that the series will use to sort of psychoanalyze him. But they use it specifically for plot beats like this of... Hey, I'm you as a kid, and it like confuses him for a moment. Which just, I don't know what that's really like. It, it works for me. I I can understand me too. where people might be bothered by that, but I think it's totally fine and and totally inoffensive. I think so, and I think it adds a layer to the series because it does, like I said, for a series that's pretty proudly pea-brained. I, I guess that's the the phrase we use. Um, is that it at least adds some sort of other layer to it that at least has some level of intelligence to it. And I do appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I think that's a perfect segue into part five, uh, picking up, uh, not, not exactly where part four ends a few years after, which again adds to the wonky timeline that we've already addressed, but, um, at least the cold open picks up not right after, but at least it's a nightmare, I think. Right. Um, you know, so, so this, this is part, even though it's part five, it is part two of the Tommy Jarvis arc. Mm-hmm. Um, it begins with a flashback nightmare the, the, with a, with basically a cameo by Corey Feldman, uh, who most famously was filming the Goonies at this time. They wanted him back in the first draft of the script, um, but he was out making the Goonies, so they made him older, but brought him back for this one sort of like nightmare cameo sequence. So in this movie, essentially... 
would you say part five is probably the most amongst fans of the series probably the most polarizing yeah entry? I, you you pull anybody who's actually a fan of the series and and this one i don't think anybody would ever say this is their favorite or if they would i've never met such a person but it it varies from it's fine to like this one almost killed the series what the hell were they thinking it's so god awful I would argue it's more than fine. I kind of low-key love this movie, which, but I think that's why it made it such a perfect what, because people have such strong opinions about this movie one way or the other. Um, But essentially, um, again, we're spoiling the movies, but for anybody who, for whatever reason, is listening and is unfamiliar with this one, uh, Tommy Jarvis is now like a teenager, I would say. uh, I don't know if they say what his actual age is. They don't say. He's clearly played by someone in their 20s and or early 30s, but, you know, this this series has notoriously old teenagers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So let's let's say, like for the sake of argument, he's probably a teenager. Uh, but in this one, he's played by John Shepard. Uh, he has severe trauma after the night that they killed Jason Voorhees. So he heads to the Pinehurst halfway house uh, with a group of other uh, patients, like attempting to sort of re-enter society and you know try and work past this trauma. Um, however, the ghosts of Jason Voorhees' past does come back to haunt him, and this one, and this is basically where people sort of polarizing opinions of the movie come in is it's a copycat killer Mm -hmm. yes they have a hockey mask yes it has blue lines instead of red um but it is it is a whodunit and i think that to me i i don't know i i feel like if you were going to continue this series i think because you know we already talked touched briefly on part four and how tom savini came back to do the effects because it was supposed to be the end and then that movie made money and so they're like, well, we could still milk the cow a little bit more. So they painted themselves into a corner and they're like, okay, well, what if we did it without Jason because Jason is dead? Right. And so I think that's what makes people upset. And it makes me wonder too, I wish I would have done more research into this to see if people at the time were upset about it because I feel like people are more like retroactively upset about it because they do bring Jason back as a zombie in yep. the, the, the you know later sequels. So it's like, is it in hindsight or do people like hate it at the time because to me i think this is a pretty awesome like sleazy slasher movie maybe one of the sleaziest slashers to ever come out from a mainstream studio at that time because we've seen plenty of sleazy like smaller scale movies but it's like this one is like really like nasty Mm -hmm. and i i kind of love that about the movie and i feel like it at least gives it a sort of refreshing angle and and also you know a new beginning it kind of ties it back into the first one a little bit where it's like the first one's a whodunit and then this one's also a whodunit but it like it does take the element of like okay it's someone who's doing a jason copycat Mm -hmm. who could it be sort of thing and i think it's at least refreshing for this series well and there's also like a dual layer to the mystery and uh, i'm Mm -hmm. i'm glad that you opened by saying like this is a part two of the of the uh, the jarvis uh arc because i mean Friday Thirteenth Part Four came out in 1984. Part Five came out in 1985. So, there's no way that they went into '84 blind, and and being like, "This is going to be the last one we make." And then, oh, it made a bunch of money. Let's let's get a, another one out there real quick. They had to have had at least something in their back pocket. I, I I'm super curious to know if they were if they were at a point where they already had something like this written, and that they wanted to kill Jason and, and maybe move on from him in the series. And then they had to backpedal because of the reception of five. But the, this does start off, I mean, the year after. Not only is this uh, who done it, but it sets it up in a way to where it's very plausible that Tommy done it. 
Um, and the movie sort of tries to make you, like, it tries to trick you into thinking that, like, well, maybe, like, it's not even maybe, like, Tommy's crazy. So maybe mm-hmm. Tommy is doing these killings but manifesting in his own mind that it's Jason, even though Jason is dead. And so Tommy is going to be set up as the new killer of this franchise, which I think is, if you're going to revisit the first one and, and redo a whodunit, I think it's an interesting way to re- to, to do it because that's an added element of... There was nothing like that in the first one. It was a straight across. There's somebody out here in the woods killing him and we don't know who it is. Um, yeah. This at least tries to add another element to it to make it a bit more interesting. And I, I mean, I think it's fairly effective. There's really only a few moments in the movie that come across as kind of strange or, or like you wouldn't think that it would be Tommy. Um, but I mean, for, for the most part... It's played pretty well up until the point of the actual review uh, reveal of, I mean, Roy. The spoiler alert for a, ni- yeah, a the, movie from 1985. The, the firefighter, uh, inexplicably, or one of the two, two, uh, or is it a- firefighter or EMT driver? EMT. That's what it was. You're right. You're right. Because they're on the scene of that first death in the yeah. beginning of the movie. Um, Which and so is isn't that like his entire motivation is the guy who gets killed is like his nephew or something yes and then yes yeah. yes yes so it's so it's literally because in the opening scene of the movie or the first death of the movie it's not by like by roy not by the copycat killer it's that uh fucking the guy just snaps and and kills this guy who poor guy who clearly like i mean yeah he's he's a bit socially awkward and clearly he's there um you know for there's a reason he's, he's at this halfway yeah. house he's got problems but it's like like the other guy just snaps because he thinks that guy's being annoying, and it's like right. that's not a fucking reason to kill a guy multiple times with the fucking axe that you're chopping wood with, you psycho. Well, who the fuck and gave him the axe is my question. <laughs> like, yeah, this is like a house for people who have like there's a reason that they're at this halfway house because they have these psychological problems that they're working through, anger issues. Yeah, like you would think that whoever is on detail of handing out chores for the day would be like, okay, you're gonna you're gonna dust. Or you're going to do something that involves no tools that have sharp edges on them. I don't know yeah, who's this. Like, no, you're going to chop wood. Chop wood. <laughs> yeah. It's so... Str- yeah, it's so... So, yeah, he, that's right. He kills So he kills that guy brutally. And, yeah, he's related to Roy. And so Roy then takes on the, the, the uh, Jason copycat killing. Yeah. Um, As, like, revenge. He just wants to kill everybody at the facility because they let uh, this... I, I don't know what he is, like nephew or something, but some family member died. It's related. And so, but but I do think you're right that it takes an interesting element from the first one because the first one, yeah, it's a whodunit, but it's not like a, the first one, they don't start pointing the fingers at each other that somebody's killing somebody. It's more just like, oh, here's this sort of shadowy person mm-hmm. and they're killing him and we don't know why. Versus this one, it's like they are starting to point the fingers at people. It's like, well, it's like, well, Tommy's clearly the killer because he's crazy or like, oh, that person could be the killer too. And so it adds a little, like, more of an interesting element. Yeah. And because you have this sort of like again you have this camp of of people who are dealing with some really heavy traumatic shit that it's like and you clearly watched one patient snap and kill somebody at the beginning so it smartly sets it up Mm -hmm. to where it's like okay it really could be tommy or really could be anybody at this camp and i think that it actually does a really great job of like building tension in a series that it's like okay it's just jason he's gonna kill people well I, i feel like it's a fresh angle it, it is, and I, and I think the the first one, again, as we already mentioned, ripping off Halloween and ripping off uh, uh, the Black Christmas, 
it was a whodunit in the very similar manner of we as an audience know that there's a killer who's stalking and mm-hmm. killing people, but this is all unknown to the characters. They they are they're hapless going about their day, and we know that danger is lurking, so we're afraid for them. And this one very much like uh, go back and listen to our first episode, or no, it wasn't our first episode. One one of our earlier episodes about whodunit slashers, and when we talked about a scream where the characters are aware of the killings. And we know that there's a killer, and the killer could be anybody in the cast. This one yep. necessarily like takes on that same limit of like, okay, it's not a, a full out who done it. Somebody that we've seen on the screen here is the killer, and we need to figure it out along with the characters that are in the movie, like Scooby Doo, trying to unravel this mystery, which I think is right. great. I, I think it's something that is un, un, unprecedented for the series up until this point because they hadn't really tackled this exact like subset of of the genre. No, and no, not at all. And I think it, it makes it interesting. The other thing that makes it interesting is I feel like as far, I would say even of all of them, it has the more, I guess, other than, maybe other than Crispin Glover's character in part four, it has the most like weird, like colorful characters because so many of these movies that like the characters are such like archetypes, mm-hmm. right? It's just like they're, they're, they're embodying an archetype to be fodder for the slaughter essentially and this one you have just a lot of like really crazy oddball characters which i think like adds to the enjoyment of the movie you especially have that the 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 woman who lives next door to the camp and has her son who's like not quite there i guess let's Mm -hmm. say um and and she's just like vulgar and just just, like telling him and people the camp like well you shut the fuck up (laughs) uh like and then her son hits like a really one of the more brutal deaths in the series gets fucking decapitated on his dirt bike which is like also an like unsettling scene because he's like inexplicably riding around like screaming at the top of his lungs you know okay sure sure, you know as one does (laughs) um it's a tuesday and he gets decapitated or there's the uh there's the, the I, maybe one of the more famous scenes in the movie there's like the the uh the brother of one of the characters who's in the uh, uh who's at the halfway house yeah. and like he's out there the brother is out there with his girlfriend and he inexplicably has to take oh it's not inexplicable yeah it's true it was the goddamn enchiladas is goddamn enchiladas and so he's hey you okay Damn enchiladas! He's sitting in the, sitting on a can, and his girlfriend on the other side is like Ooh, serenading him. Baby. <laughs> it's it's incredible. Like like those little touches, I feel like make this movie at least stand out. Whether whether you think it stands out in a good or a bad way, I think it at least stands out amongst the series for that. Personally, I'm a shy pooper. If if you come over to the outhouse that I'm in and you're trying to like serenade me, I'm, I'm nothing's gonna work. That's not that's not what I need. It's it's gonna go back in like. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But I mean, like, I I feel like I don't have as much to say about this one as a what as some of the previous what's we've had, or even you know, sort of talking about the good of part two, or we're gonna get to it, the bad of part eight. I feel like I have more to get to, and I and I think, I think you you unabashedly you know sort of love this movie on some level, and I'm sort of fine with this movie. I, I can I can mm-hmm. accept the, the parts of it to, that to me make it a what, sort of its strange elements, sort of its trying to adopt something, trying to do something new. It is ballsy of them to you know 
Jason is sort of our, you know, our bedrock. We're going to kill him and we're going to continue forward and try and make something weird of it. We're going to try something like there's there's a respect that I have for this movie for it trying something different and mm-hmm. uh, uh, approaching things differently. And uh, I think it's shot really well. Um, I think, yeah. again, the, the score in this one is not bad. Um, it, it, it's, there's certainly worse examples from the series. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the images and stuff. Are, are you know iconic and, and strange and, and uh, different um but for me it's like this is sort of the middle ground of the series and the series itself being sort of deadpan we know what we are we're just you know we're we are a popcorn movie we're pizza like even if it's terrible at least it's pizza sort of thing this is yeah. for me hey a middle of the road dominoes fine like it, i don't really get a lot of substance out of this one and that's not me exactly sure. hating on it. I think it definitely sets out to accomplish something, and it more or less does it. But I, yep. I, I, I think it's not the most interesting of the series for that reason. No, but I think it, it does because it does something different, like you said. And and I would I would I would go with the Domino's analogy. Agree, though for me it'd be more of the like uh, the quote unquote new Domino's or whatever. Oh, like sure. whenever they whenever they were like put garlic and shit in their crust yeah. and it didn't taste like the cardboard that the the yeah they, <laughs> they the cooked a box in. and then they sent it to you in another box. Yeah, yeah, that's I, we're we're gonna get to the version of that here pretty soon. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, we're, we're coming up on Little Caesars territory here pretty quick. Oh, I, I do you take that out of your mouth, Little Caesars? I, little Caesars. I will, I will take Little Caesars out of my mouth. <laughs> little Caesars is not the worst chain, I don't think. I haven't tried any of them Papa in a John's, very long time, but Papa John's is the worst. Oh well, the day of reckoning is coming. Well, I was going to say, uh, uh, disagreeable politics aside, their pizza stinks. <laughs> Before I knew about any of that stuff, but let's not get into pizza chains here i i yes i do love this movie but and not in an ironic way but i'm probably being a bit hyperbolic about it i just do like that it's different i like that it's sleazy the director danny steinman uh did like a bunch of like porn movies before this um yeah and it shows i guess apparently i i i I forget where i heard this and i gotta remember so i can credit it but i guess apparently they like there's like a lot of these movies um there's a more gruesome cut out there mm-hmm. of it that like every kill scene was framed like a like a sexual climax essentially because oh shit um yeah Did and Cronenberg so like but this? i <laughs> oh man could you imagine Cronenberg's <laughs> approach of a Friday the 13th movie I, that'd be amazing I'm but uh well Cronenberg shows up in Jason X yep. so there you go i guess maybe that's close as we're going to get but um <laughs> But, like, it, it was sort of, like, framed like that. And, of course, it's, like, it's still pretty gnarly, this one, relatively to the other ones. But it's also heavily neutered by the MPAA. Uh, he also did a movie called Savage Streets, uh, which is, like, a, a pretty... It, that's also a pretty gross, like, grindhouse movie that I don't, like, totally love. It's got um, oh, uh, Linda Blair mm-hmm. from The Exorcist in it. Um, it's like, but it, but it's like that grimy 82nd street, uh, movie. And, and this is like kind of that of a Friday the 13th movie. Um, it's not perfect, but I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and I, I definitely don't, maybe that's what makes it such a, a, a what, like you said, I don't have as much to say as some of our other what's, uh, that we've had in the past, but I do think that I don't think this movie warrants the dislike it gets from certain corners of the Friday the 13th fandom, because I think there are much worse movies and I will always, in a series that's highly formulaic, I will always give it 
give props to the one that tries to do something different, yep. even if it's not successful. So I, I think it's fun. And if nothing else, I like the blue mask. That's like my uh, quote-unquote Jason skin when I play the Friday the 13th sure. game, other than the Nintendo uh, 8-bit version. Uh, <laughs> so I like the blue mask. Sue me. <laughs> so. I, I play as him as well. He, he has the garden shears. He kicks ass. Yes, um, which, ha- which the vinyl, which is the only one I don't have. I have one through four and six seven and eight but i don't have the part five vinyl uh but it's it, it's the blue mask with the garden shears like front and center right. it's pretty dope dope cover um, um i was gonna ask being a fan of all that jazz did you like this movie's homage to yes all that jazz i do like it <laughs> it talk about it, it gives some class to to the crass of these movies <laughs> yeah very classy which is the woman bears her breasts to herself in the like roadside diner <laughs> it's showtime it's showtime i i i am you know what i i respect I, respect i appreciate you know the I mean? nod but i'm like why do you, why why did you do that <laughs> why not because if you're go- again if you're going to be sleazy about if you're going to be yeah. unabashed about your own sleaziness at least try and class it up with with the uh, with a great yeah, movie, yeah right i mean come on yeah just no i, I someone should have someone should have showed their dick and it's been like rosebud <laughs> is that the end of boogie nights <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, but uh, no, I, I look, look. If if one of your top ten favorite movies of all time get referenced in a fucking Friday the Thirteenth movie, hey, more power sure. to it. Yeah, so get it. That's probably subconsciously why I love this movie so much. I'm just like, you reference all that jazz. It reminds you of all respect. that jazz, and so then just all yeah. that goodwill gets lumped over to part five. Except it's not a two way street. When I watch all that jazz, I don't think about Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, but it's it's still fun. Yeah. Um, so I guess we got two two movies to briefly hit on before we get into yeah. our 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 bad and um, big ones, or at least one of them is is a big one. One of them is a big yeah. one, and I I I I think is this our mutual favorite? Is part six our mutual favorite? I bounce between six and two, but I think six is still my favorite for me. Yeah, it's 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 so much fun, and and it's it's the one that like really. I, I mean, I don't want to say understands because two understands it too, but it's like as far as like hey. This is a pretty dumb concept in a series full of dumb concepts that we're going to have lightning strike Jason like mm-hmm. Frankenstein's monster and wake up and become a zombie now. Um, I, I think it's 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 a lot of fun. It's the one entry in the series that's like actually comedic like not unintentionally like maybe i guess some of the stuff crispin glover says in part four mm. but this movie is actually like really funny there's actually really like like even weirdly like darkly comedic things like when all the kids are at the summer camp and they think they're all gonna die from jason and they're like what did you want to be when you grow up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, i think we're all like, dead meat like i love those yes movies. they're reading no exit yeah. also <laughs> <laughs> so it's like there's there's a lot of like funny stuff like that it's it's one of the more you know again neutered like a lot of them but i feel like less so i mean he does punch a guy straight through and yeah. they do show it it's only for a second yeah. but they show it it's happen enough. at the beginning of the movie um no i think that i i think six is a lot of fun yeah. and yeah I, I i definitely think it's a, a highlight of the the series well, for sure it's a huge turning point because i mean like obviously yeah and again, like these movies, like fucking clockwork. Eighty six is when this came out, and so like, 
I don't know. Like maybe maybe they 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 did like actually plan to kill Jason, and then they got bad bad uh, backlash for part five, and so then they had to like quickly pivot and be like, okay, how do we bring Jason back? But like they were doing these things yearly and like pumping them out. Yeah. And, and uh, this is directed by Tom McLaughlin, uh, who you know didn't didn't have much under his belt. He he'd like um, you know directed a couple of things really uh, before this movie. Uh, he he actually directed an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. Um, later, mm-hmm. uh, uh, on in his he was career, actually but. he was actually tapped to make part four, and oh. they so apparently he was tapped to make uh, the Dream Master, and uh, what had happened was that um, he because he was pretty much given creative control and freedom to do part six. Um, I think the only stipulation was that like you can't make a joke out of Jason, but you can make everything else like funny, oh. and so. He got creative freedom to do part six, and so he was one of the people they met to do uh, the Dream Master, and uh, he wanted that same creative freedom extended to him for that. And they said, "Well, well, no, we have certain things we have to hit, and also like we've already started shooting second unit." And he's like, "Wait, you've already started shooting without a director? Like that's fucking crazy." Yeah. No, um, but then he's also gone on record and saying, like, as much as like he wanted that, he really regrets it because, as we noted back in episode 17 give it a listen Ronnie harlan ended up directing it and it made Ronnie harlan's career from straight on so he really regrets not doing it because like oh i probably could have had a similar trajectory had i done the movie but i didn't um but he at least has the 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 title the very least doing the best friday 13th movie yeah um it's so tongue-in-cheek and i'm glad that you touched on like there's small subtle dark humor references that remind me sort of like evil dead 2's um sort of tongue-in-cheek uh dark humor and um, uh, and just it goes ridiculous because I mean like we need to bring Jason back. How do we do it? Let's just literally fucking bring him back. Let's just Frankenstein this shit. We'll we'll give him an excuse. We'll bring back Tommy Jarvis, who you know uh, now he's a he's a serious staple. He's been in, in the previous mm-hmm. two. He is consumed with this idea that that Jason is going to be coming back. So we we gotta go. We gotta get him. So I'm going to go to the uh, graveyard where he is buried, take a fence post and stab it into his chest, which, of course, that gets hit by lightning. Jason mm-hmm. gets back, punches a hole through a dude, as you already mentioned, and then he's off and, he's off and running. Well, it, often uh, briskly walking, because for the rest of the series, Jason will not run. Um, but he's, now he's literally a zombie. He's undead. And, right. Th- like... And I, is it after that cold open that they do the James Bond intro? It it, it is yeah. in that cold open. It's like uh, Tommy gets away in the truck, and it's like shink shink shink, and it like cuts closer, and then yeah, the, he walks into it, frame it, through his eyeball yeah. and slashes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's so good. It, and then like, there's great things like like that. There's the um, he's not a he's not a harbinger so much, but he's a the there's the grave digger at the graveyard that shows up a few times in the movie who, mm-hmm. like, breaks the fourth wall. Like, he, he like, looks at the audience at one, uh, one point, I think, or he has a line that says, like, Some folks have a strange idea entertainment. But he also has a, he has a line later where he's like, What, do they think we're fart heads? And then they insert audio of kids at the camp going, Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, the cut, the match cutting, it's so good. It's like so it, awesome. it, 
it's so like again it's the smartest choice they can make of these movies oh, yeah. i think and and yeah i appreciate the sort of like you said like fuck it he's back yeah uh not to dovetail back into nightmare on elm street for just a quick second that also happened with funny enough with part four when it actually started coming to fruition when it was actually filming um I don't know what the context was exactly. It's in the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary. Like, Rennie Harlan ran into James Cameron in some capacity, and James Cameron was, like, sort of scoffing in that sort of pretentious James Cameron way of, like, well, how are they bringing Freddy back this time? And Rennie Harlan was slowly coyly like, yeah, dog pisses fire, and he comes back. He's right. That's exactly what happens in part four of <laughs> Kincaid Dreams. They go to that uh, uh, grave, or, uh, excuse me, the uh, junkyard where Freddy's remains are burying, and a dog from hell pisses fire. That's how he comes back. He's just like, yeah, fuck it, I don't yeah, care. Fuck it. Like, yeah, why? Shut up, James Cameron. Like, yeah. and, and, like at the same time, like you can be, like that's that's the thing where I said pretty like early on. I feel like four hours ago we started talking about this series, um, uh, about like if you if you come into this series with the idea of like I know what this is, I'm not yeah. here for high art. I'm not here for anything that's like gonna blow me away. If you are already on board with the series, then or the same thing with, I think the Nightmare Nightmare series is a bit more intellectual than what you're going to get out of the Friday the Thirteenth series. But like, it's more or less Definitely. the same thing of like, yeah, the, the the movie needs to have the main antagonist in it in order for it to move forward. So how does he get back? Why the fuck do you care how he gets back? He just needs to be here. And on some level, I can agree with it. I'm like, cool, fine. Yeah, sure. he's back. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. He needed to be in the movie, and he's here now, so, okay. It makes more sense when they're supernatural. Like, I mean, they make these movies super quick, and I yeah. do think they do make them based on, like, how much money it made. I mean, I, like, honestly, and maybe this is my cynicism because I'm not crazy about these movies after two, but, like, the Saw movies, I really just think they kept making them and mad-libbing the plot yeah. until they're like, oh, shit, oh, they they're not making money did. anymore. Oh, yeah. They were just like, okay, how can we make jigsaw into this somehow even though he's dead he died in like, like the second one or the second, third, one. third one he dies in the third and one and then there's yeah. like but, 85 of those movies and he's still releasing yeah. tapes you're like the fuck you masterminded yeah. a game like 20 like 20 years yeah. to your death they just they they kept mad libbing it until they the the uh, revenue declined and they're like okay now we'll end it yeah right uh, and then we're done <laughs> that's the uh, logical conclusion of the series which, to be fair, I think Friday the Thirteenth, even back then, and and Paranormal Activity is another recent example. Yeah. Probably did. It's like they were made super cheap, super quick. So it's like they could turn them out around in a year and have them out every October. Yeah. So, but you know, this this one's really well done. I think yeah. we both love it a lot. Part seven, the New Blood. I I I, I like it more than I don't. Um, I think that it's in the title there, right? The yeah. New Blood. Like, they tried to, to really go a different route with this movie in terms of, like, trying to unshackle, which, I mean, I'm not, that's not a pun to the opening, cold open of this movie, unshackle Jason <laughs> from Camp Crystal Lake and take him outside of it. I think this was, like, the first attempt to do that because it's called The New Blood, number one. Number two... Fred Mullen uh, was largely the composer of this movie. He was also the composer of Part 8, which we're going to get into mm -hmm. here momentarily. Uh, him and Hen Harry Manfredini share co-credit because they reuse some Manfredini yeah. in Part 7. But largely, Fred Mullen does the new stuff. So they have a new composer. Um, they are trying something different to get Jason out of Camp Crystal Lake. They added, apparently, the early draft of Part 7 was initially a Freddy vs. Jason, but they didn't have Jason and Freddy under the same umbrella yet. So they're like, well, we want Jason to square off against somebody. Well, how about Carrie? I'm like, okay. Well, we don't have the rights to Carrie either. So it's just 
girl who is telekinetic. <laughs> okay, yeah. sure. And it's like I think it's a fun premise, and and I really like I I do enjoy it overall. It has it does have one of the most iconic kills in the series, the the famous sleeping bag mm-hmm. uh, kill. Um, this is one of those I think was we we've talked touched on how this series was largely neutered by the MPAA through a lot of it um, because it did play theaters and so it wasn't like just grindhouse theaters so they had to have a certain I think this one suffers the most oh, yeah. of all eight of the original run um, th- this movie's directed by John Carl Beekler who's largely a visual effects artist R.I.P. Um, and he did some pretty gnarly ass effects in his career and what I think happened um, I don't know this for sure but I can only assume that like what he shot was really hard to edit around where like the other movies, they probably shot it in such a way where it's like, okay, you could still show this, but we'll cut it off at a certain time, mm-hmm. such as the, the dude getting his arm punched through in part six. Right. Uh, Cause there's like deleted scene where it's like, that goes on much longer. Um, but like they do it just enough where it's like, okay, you see it. And now we're out of it. Right. I think, I think Beekler did some nasty ass stuff that they just could not edit around and so, and it's very much shows in the movie because like you don't even see like the point of impact. A bunch of it is off camera. the movie. Yeah, yeah. You just you just hear like a foley effect. Well, and there's like and the, it's like there's like the, the uh, psychiatrist doctor who's like the asshole character of the movie who's yes. like uh, preying upon uh, the the Carrie girl and like having sex with the mom and like a really fucked up relationship. And then when he meets uh, Jason in the woods, who has some weird buzzsaw um like hedge trimmer contraption like not a real tool like i don't he, no. he like macgyvered this shit at some point in a shed but he like has this big insane looking like and you're like oh he's gonna do some real damage and this is the time for like the asshole character to get his comeuppance and it's a hundred percent off screen like it's just mm-hmm. nope he just gets killed and so like they very famously like came out and were like, "Yeah, our movie had a, a whole bunch of gore in it, and like we spent a lot of time making these effects and putting them together, and it's just all gone. The MPAA took out all of it. The MPAA took out of it. The print probably wasn't archived because like they they because Screen Factory put out that all encompassing Blu-ray as we already like mentioned, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty amazing set. And it's like if they couldn't find it or dig it up for that it's, it's never going it's to gone. happen it's gone yeah. I, I i i do uh, a friend um a colleague um who actually works at vinegar syndrome brad henderson has talked uh, at least on twitter that he's um because work prints he has a work print cut of seven uh, and work print cuts were often edited to tape, mm-hmm. and so most of the work prints are on like VHS tapes. So I think he is either seen or has the work print for Seven, and has basically confirmed that like yes, those effects are as gnarly as you've heard. Awesome. Unfortunately, it will never see the light of day. I guess unless they decide somehow to release those shitty like shot like transferred tape versions, yeah. which I would like to see. Sure. Honestly, I would like to because I think the part two gore effects that are on the the Blu-ray are also like from an edited to tape yeah so it's like i would like to see it and we were it saying earlier how like for the most part the 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 ones that from are from the tape that they show in the special features on the blu-ray for two don't really change the scene or if they do change the scene that like it's not like in a good way but there is that one scene where the couple get stabbed upstairs in the bed where uh jason comes in after they are done having sex and um the girl is is below her boyfriend and sees Jason come in, has a reaction of like, oh shit, 
and basically the cut is that it cuts to the the tip of the spear coming up it cuts to her mm-hmm. face again and then it cuts to the spear slamming down under like through the bed into the ground some blood trickles down on the floor and that's more or less the scene of him killing them and the, even the music like picks up like rip, 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 and then like fades really quickly like you can tell that they had right. to cut a bunch of footage out of there and like and, and, and fix the scene a bunch of posts whereas if you watch the tape the tape has an extra shot of from the corner of the room behind both of them with Jason in frame and the bed in frame and you can see where she's panicking but her boyfriend yes. is not aware that there's danger behind them and it adds an element of horror of like that's terrifying to like you can see your death impending it's coming in it's going to get you but the other person that is there is completely unaware of it and they are unknowingly holding you down and digging your grave for you and it's a scary thing so like when we when we get to these where we're talking about seven or any of these other movies like this where like yep they got cut up and butchered by the mpaa and we'll never know exactly what they intended to shoot it's shit like that that you see that you're like i wonder what the filmmaker wanted me to see yeah it's it's a bummer it's a bummer we'll probably never ever get to see it um it's also a bummer that we've seen multiple, multiple times. One that I think the filmmaker, well, at least the effects I'd say the filmmaker intended. I wouldn't say the actual movie because I think he's he's pretty much disowned the movie at this point. Uh, director Rob Haddon, anyway, is the infamous part eight. Jason takes uh, a boat <laughs> and, and then Vancouver, British Columbia, and then Times Square for like a second. Yeah, he, he takes a leisurely stroll between subway stations in Manhattan for two minutes. And then uh, there's another hour and 34 minutes in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'm glad you started there because, like, you know, I know this movie's probably been talked to death. It, it's often considered one of the weakest of these movies. And, and again, there is a certain bar, sure. right? It's like you're, you're, these movies have a ceiling that they are never going to get above, but they also, like, have a bottom, too, where it's like they can't be too much, like, worse mm-hmm. than... But, like, this is definitely, I think, to me, the worst one. And I think largely in part where you already said it, this is also inexplicably the longest Friday the 13th movie. At 100 minutes long. It's longer than Freddy vs. Jason, even, mm-hmm. uh, which features two icons. And so it's like, this movie does not need to be 100 minutes long. It is really interminable. Um, and it isn't, like... And you want to talk about filler? I mean, this this definitely has the worst of the fillers. Oh, yeah. uh, I I think of of all of them, to be honest. Like, um, it, it, and and like I know people like like you know it's not an original thing to rag on it for not being in Manhattan for a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but like the boat stuff is still boring to me. Like that's the thing. Yeah. If it was exciting in the way that maybe two or six was, I wouldn't care so much that they were on this fucking boat. But the truth of the matter is, it's like, okay, there's that cool kill with the guitar. Great. Awesome. But, mm-hmm. like, everything else about it, until he gets to New York, right. in air quotes, is boring as shit. Yes. Well, and I we, we didn't mention it uh, when we were just talking about Part 7, but Part 7 was the introduction of Kane Hodder, which is... Yes. The, yes, thank you. The man to, like, play jason multiple times where he was jason in seven eight nine and uh jason x um and like he definitely embodies jason in a different way not not least of which being that he himself is a stuntman and so especially in part seven he's you know doing flame stunts he's getting thrown through false stairs he's doing he gets a a a porch collapsed on top of him like the dude sacrifices his body 
for the movie, and it, it, it's a cool part about him. And I am, am maybe going to make an enemy or, or two, um, but a large part of my uh, hatred, I would say, for part eight is... Oof, that's strong. <laughs> man, th- this last time, I've seen it like three or, or maybe four times, but like this last time that I just watched it for a refresher for this, I, I like just fell asleep during it. It's so, so, so boring. But, like, the... Like, Jason in this movie is so unintimidating. And I think a bunch of it is that now that... And and this is something that continues sort of with Kane Hodder in in Jason X. I haven't seen Part 9. I I mentioned in, in, I I think, last episode or the episode before that if, if something is, like, universally panned and hated, I will go out of my way to not watch it. And I've heard not a single good thing about Part Nine, so I've never had any inclination to watch the movie. But at least in what I've seen him in Seven, Eight, and Ten, he's his Jason is the star of the show, and he is getting front row and center. He's getting close ups, and several times in this movie, he will get a he will get a victim cornered, and he is in frame the entire time, slowly stalking the set and getting near them and then they will notice him and then they get a moment to like collapse and be like oh no please don't do this and he still is walking surveying the area checks his emails uh like takes a nap like he's just on screen for like two minutes silently strolling looking at him breathing heavy checking his pockets like and you're just like just fucking get in and out Get in and out. That's what made him scary in the earlier movies is that he can strike out of nowhere. When he does, he comes in, he gets you, and he's on to the next victim. And in this movie, the kills are far and few between. And when they happen, they are drawn out to the point of sheer pain where you're just like, stop fucking doing this. (laughs) I I would... I don't disagree that they are. I would disagree in that it doesn't bother me (laughs) in the slightest. I was so bugged by it. It doesn't... It doesn't bother me at all. I think, but what does bother me, um, in relation to that, I think for me it's the sort of like tone management, which I know is a weird thing to say about a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Sure. But let me explain, because Part Six, as we talked about, really struck like a dark comedic tone while also having that like Jason could strike out of nowhere, like you said. Um, well, actually, I take that back. Even some of his sequences in Part Six are a little bit more drawn out, like mm-hmm. the paintball scene. Uh, where it's yeah. like, which is pretty like great. They just shoot the paintballs at him, and he's just like, "Huh? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you? Okay, fuck." But at least up. it's but, paid for comedy, and it like breaks it up. Well, and see, that's where I was gonna say where it fumbles here is because I think the intention is to play it for comedy. I think I, there's a couple of the scenes where I don't think you can watch those and go like they were intended for anything but comedy. But the problem is, everything else is so especially all the like melodrama with like the professor or like the the teacher on the boat trip mm-hmm. and like all of that shit does not merge well with like especially when they get to New York because i think those scenes are meant in that same comedic kill 
shot way that part six is mm. especially the, the most you know there's the two most famous scenes from the movie or maybe three but the two specifically is the one guy who keeps throwing punches at jason on the roof and he's slowly slowly walking to him and he just like lets him do it until he's out of breath mm. and then jace the punchline literal punchline <laughs> jason throws an uppercut and punches the guy's head clean mm-hmm. off and it's like i don't think you could watch that and go that's not intended to be funny oh, yeah. i think it is it just doesn't work with the rest of the movie similarly for when there's that one there's really only if i recall there's only really two scenes of the movie that are actually shot in manhattan in Times square Mm -hmm. there's the opening uh title sequence um with like a montage with a pretty awesome like hair metal ballad that opens it i forgot the name of the song or the band but uh there's that and then there's the famous scene of him walking and he kicks over that group's ghetto blaster yeah. and they get all pissed off at him and then we get the over the shoulder from Jason and he lifts his masks up and they were like, oh, oh fuck, okay, yeah, we're carry cool, on. We're cool. <laughs> yeah, we're cool, it's fine. Yeah, and so it's like, again, I think that's meant for comedy. I just don't think it merges well with like the rest of the movie and when you have a concept such as Jason Takes Manhattan, that it should be, it should be goofier. Yeah. That's, like, this should have been more tonal tonally similar to part six yeah. than than it is well and I, I think that's specifically the scenes i'm talking about where he's taking forever to get to his victims and we get it uh i mean we can start from the very beginning he does that in the the boat where uh, i mean we can just start from the beginning of the movie the beginning of the movie starts with shots of manhattan and a voiceover talking about yes. like and, and like introducing the city so like right up front we like we get teased like we're going to be here later on in the movie, and like this is in the title of the movie. I bet you can't wait until we can see Jason, much like in Predator 2, going throughout this cityscape and, and you know hunting and stalking his victims. And then it's, it's just a big cock tease because we don't get there for another hour and 25 minutes into the movie. <laughs> I timed it. That's yes. when they show up in Times Square. Um, but, like, so they're introducing that, and then we cut to Camp Crystal Lake. And uh, there's, like, this cabin cruiser that's floating out there with these two kids who are part of a graduating class who, for some reason, decided to go to Camp Crystal Lake. And um, the boyfriend apparently is a bit of a dick because he came along with a fake knife and a Jason mask for, like, the intention of scaring his girlfriend. Which is, like, that's a convoluted fucking prank, dude. Well, and doesn't doesn't uh, because I didn't. Uh, I'll I'll admit I rewatched these all in October, so I didn't like refresh on them. It doesn't Jason because he's awakened from being in the water from part seven. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he grab that mask? That's the prank mask. I I believe so. I I, I again I just watched it last night, and <laughs> I myself because he gets woken up because there's a, there's a power cable, like a giant power cable running along the bottom of Crystal Lake to, I don't know. And it gets uh, hit by their anchor, and then it shocks his body that is trapped underneath the um, the dock that got ripped down at the bo- at the end of, of part seven. So he gets shocked, much like at the beginning of six. He gets brought back to life. He swims up to the surface, gets on the boat, and when he gets on the boat, he like comes into their room slowly. They recognize, and it's much like part two, where um, the boyfriend is on top of the girlfriend. They're like getting ready to have sex. And she notices him, and she's like, oh, my God. And instead of doing anything, he stands and waits for the boyfriend to roll over, realize he's there. Then they're both scared, and they get up against a wall. Then he slowly raises a um, harpoon gun. He shoots it, mm-hmm. and he misses. 
and then the girlfriend gets up and she leaves the room and then the boyfriend is just too scared to move and Jason slowly makes his way over to him and then stabs him with the gun and then he like leaves the girl the girlfriend runs around to the front of the boat gets into like a little bin like a, a hiding like storage area Jason walks up to it opens it and then it's her just being oh no please don't no 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 and he pulls out a harpoon and very slowly millimeter by millimeter lowers the harpoon into the hole to st- and the whole time rising music her going no please don't no no please and eventually as an audience member you're like yes please please <laughs> just we know the, 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 the inevitable end of this scene so like you can only get so much tension and then the tension will turn to annoyance because you're just like it's gonna happen just mm-hmm. get it and especially like you're saying the movie's like 100 110 minutes or whatever the hell it is you could have cut out huge portions of this movie that's just Jason standing in front of a victim who's begging and him not doing anything. Yes, and it makes me wonder if, because at this point, um, because I think Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, I want to say, definitely made more money than any Friday the 13th movie, at least in the States, Uh, and that would have been 88, Mm. um, in the same year that Part 7 came out and then a year before this one, and I'm wondering because... Similarly, you mentioned, like, Jason is now the star of the show. Mm -hmm. And I think that was... I mean, I don't think that was an accident because that started being the case with the Nightmare on Elm Street series. It's like, in Wes Craven's movie, it's like he's in the shadows, he's, like, he's scary, he's dark. But then it's like, okay, from... It's, he still is in three, but then it's really become from four on. It's like he's a he's a one man like joking machine, yeah. and Freddy is the person that people are coming to see. They're seeing like what kind of crazy dreamscape he's gonna kill these people in, and what kind of one liner is he gonna drop. Right. Which makes sense for Freddy because he has a personality and because he has like a character. Whereas like I mean Jason has a character. I'm not taking that away, but it's like he doesn't say anything. He's a silent performer, and so it's like. It feels like they're kind of going for that same sort of like let's make Jason the the star. Jason, people mm-hmm. are here to see Jason, and that's probably true to a certain extent. However, it it they don't do it here in a way that can convey it. I think interestingly or at least enough to hold um, those moments. Right. Like it, it actually it, it it does a detriment where it's like you're like people are laughing and howling at whatever one-liner Freddy's going to say versus they draw it out here and it's it, like you said it actually does the opposite and deflates the tension yeah. and so I, I i think i don't think it's an accident really i think it's like oh okay these horror icons are now what people are coming to see so we're going to make them basically the hero in their in their movie right. um to a certain extent and um i just think it does given given the excessive length of this movie and given how kind of atonal it is i think this one certainly um you know best of intentions but i think it certainly backfires it definitely does and i think in more ways than one because i mean like this movie is also one of the ones that tries to give a character to jason which again we're still in Mm -hmm. the intro here where they sort of retcon a fair amount of his character and i'm glad that earlier Mm -hmm. on uh, when we were talking about how he's sort of a mindless killer, but that's what makes him sort of interesting and scary as a villain is that he's he's unstoppable. He's a force of nature. He's going to get to you. He's going to kill you. And sort of your explanation was, you know, he was a kid who drowned at camp because the counselors weren't watching him. So he comes back and now he's going to kill camp counselors. And that's like his entire drive and purpose and what he's doing in all of the movies before this. In this one, there's an actual literal voiceover where, like, he he drowned because he wasn't being watched by teenagers. 
and now he vows to kill every teenager. So it's not just it's not just camp counselors. It's literally if you are between the ages of thirteen and nineteen, watch watch your back. Because um, Jason, especially if you're fucking, especially if, if you're, you're fucking, fucking and, and Jason's coming after you. <laughs> and so like, and it was sort of like a a, a a purpose that they were giving to his character to get him out of Crystal Lake because. In all of the movies, mm-hmm. he's like in or around the Crystal Lake area, and even in movies like Part Six, where he's um, brought back to life outside of Crystal Lake, and he's you know at the he's at the cemetery, he goes back to Crystal Lake and attacks a, a camp full of kids. Part Four, he wakes up in a hospital. Right. He goes back to Crystal Lake, like that's his haunt, that's his that's his stomping ground. In this one, he gets woken up at the bottom of Crystal Lake, kills the two kids on the boat, and then commandeers their boat. And drives it down river to the ocean, and mm-hmm. like for no reason, he just drives down there, like with no reason that's given in the movie. So he just takes off from Crystal Lake, goes down the river, and then shows up at a port where there's a, I'm not gonna say cruise ship, it's a it's a freighter, it's like a shitty steamship. <laughs> it's supposed to be a cruise it's, ship, it's, but it's, yeah, I'm sure in the in the script they wrote cruise ship, but then could not find one or afford one, so they got this shitty freighter. And is this freighter that they're doing like a congratulations to like high school class of whatever um, you will be going on this cruise on this shitty boat uh, up to Manhattan (laughs) and Jason pulls into port, jumps off the boat, swims over to the new shitty cruise ship and climbs aboard. And all of this happens without motivation. Like, Like every single like point, like every single plot beat up to this point. There's no reason for any of it to be happening. Which, on one hand, who gives a shit? It's a Friday the 13th movie. But on the other hand, I kind of gave a shit. Because I was like, why, why are you changing so much of the movie for the purpose of, like, no like there are no purpose whatsoever? Well, and I think it goes, again, it goes hand-in-hand with your theory about Jason being the star of the show. And the fact that, like, I, and I already kind of touched on this a little bit with the with Part 7, where they brought in a new composer, Fred Mullen. Who I, I gotta say, I do like the score of this movie. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing I really do like without any sort of yeah buts, uh, it's the score of this film. But I think that was the whole, like, they were trying to do, they're like, okay, we've we've done Camp Crystal Lake, at, like, as much as we, like, we, we know every orifice of mm-hmm. Camp Crystal Lake. We need to get out of it. And so I think this was the plan to sort of expand and have Jason pretty much go anywhere and like Jason could do, like take anywhere. And I agree. I think it definitely goes against the, the already shaky internal logic of the series, but at least always had that constant with camp crystal Lake. Right. right? And so it definitely goes against that. Um, and, and totally throws that aside. And then it will, again, it wants to do something different, but I just like, but even again with the shaky logic, it's it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, there isn't really a good reason to do it other than because. And admittedly, like you said, who gives a shit? It's a Friday the Thirteenth movie, but you do kind of give a shit because if if the it would be easy to throw your hands in the air and say, why is he doing this? Because and it's like right. okay, sure. But if the because was at least interesting, I would forgive it. Or if it was exciting in any way. Um, but the truth of the matter is, it again, it's not. I think the internal runtime right. <laughs> runs into it. I think the the drama between the characters here. I mean, it, it already is pretty like lame filler in most of the movies, but it's especially true here. Oh yeah. Um, and it's just like you know, again, it's and you 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 promised Jason would take Manhattan. Why does it take eighty five minutes of a hundred minute movie? 
until we get to Manhattan. It's, it's infuriating. Like, and it is. Well, because like, and again, the the movie goes against its own logic. It goes against just like the basic form of logic to get to, to people in the places that they need to be, which right, which I keep saying it again and again. As long as you're on board, then you can find some enjoyment out of it. And I, I think if like this one is the one that really tre- like tests the metal of the audience, which is like. We've never tried to make high art up to this point before, but at least there was there was a through line of like it makes sense that this guy is in this place doing these things to these people. Everything else right. is just like you can make a you can forgive it, you can give an excuse to it. And then, and then this one's sort of just giving away any pretense of like we're not going to give a shit about trying to tell you a cohesive story. We just want to put pieces into places and then and make stuff happen. So to me automatically my enjoyment level ha- like drops several levels because it's like okay I basically need to wait for these vignettes to happen between characters that are just in a set piece and then hopefully that's an entertaining set piece and then I just have to wait until the next set piece happens because everything else like the story is gone it, it, there is none it doesn't matter anymore right. we just shove some folks on a boat and then there and, and the, the conversations that are happening between characters of like well, you're gonna be the captain of this boat now, side character number one, and I'm I need to make a documentary, side character number two. I'm gonna be a rock star, side character number three. So like, none of the characters mean anything. None of their relationships no. mean anything. Like I I I think this cast of characters is the one that I I care the least about out of any in the series. And again, I think that's purposeful going with your theory about Jason being the star of the show is they're like, you don't care that these characters are dispatched. You're rooting for Jason, which yes, but I feel like there has to be, there has to be some sort of excitement. I wish not to jump around as we slowly get to the close of this episode, but I wish you had like the tone and the, the tone, the running time and the sort of like disregard for the characters and like understanding that you're here for Jason that like Jason X had but made with like this eye because I don't think this filmmaker uh, Rob Hedden is like necessarily bad and he's pretty much disowned this movie too and I I think that like and, and this movie for like for a Friday the 13th movie I guess it would say at least looks good it, it well I guess I would hope so it's until Jason X it was the most expensive one at the time so I would like to hope that it does but like Jason X has that like because it's a sci-fi movie like yeah it's a big budget for a Friday the 13th movie but it's a small budget sci-fi movie and it shows yeah. like it has a very Canadian cheapness to Jason X like that that's like that's even though I think there's fun in that movie there's like a barrier to me where it's like if it had the look of like this movie but the tone of Jason X you take two negatives and make a pretty positive Friday the 13th movie I think and so but instead you have two fairly lame ones but well and I I can agree with that and Jason X is also a a movie that I don't care for but another one where it's like it's it's Jason in space so like even going into that one where you're like oh okay you've given up all semblance (laughs) of trying to make like a compelling narrative or anything it's it's we're putting Jason on a rocket ship Come, come watch it. Come give us your money. Yep. Like it gets the tone right for like what that movie should oh, yeah. be. I'll give it that. Like I don't really enjoy. It, it, it isn't like 
my cup of tea, but like it gets it right for what you would expect from a 10th Friday the 13th yes. movie in which Jason goes to space. Right. Like it's probably about the best you could hope for, yeah. <laughs> I would say. Well, it's, so. it's camp on top of camp where they're like, we, yeah. we know why you're here. And, and by the time we get to the 10th one in the series, if you're still paying to come watch this in the theater, this is the kind of like, you just want to see some good gore schlock trash happen. And it, it like, it's, mm-hmm. I, I think probably watching it with like a group of people that are willing to laugh at it and have a good time, it might be a yeah. fun movie. Um, it, it's not one of my. There's some good death. Me neither. There's some good death. There's got one of the best uh, death scenes in the series, though. Yeah. The liquid nitrogen yeah, kills. Great. Pretty fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. Um, um, I, I think. But should I, I don't want to pivot. Oh, go I don't ahead. want to pivot out of the eighth one until we we talk about because we. I know that Jason gets a lot more characterization in this one, and mm-hmm. I. I, sure, it's in it's in approach. Why not? But it kind of needs to be at the service of something. And ultimately, yeah. what is going on with Jason's character in this movie doesn't make a lick of sense. There, there's the, no. the the main the final girl in this movie, Rennie, is introduced to somebody who's afraid of water. She has some sort of phobia going on, and she herself is seeing like visions and dreams of child Jason. Um, it, like in the water, uh, he, she, when she's below the hole of the ship, he comes up to the glass port window and is like, oh, help me, blah, blah, blah. and she gets thrown off the boat at some point by like a bully coke addict girl. Um, and child Jason's in the water and like grabs her leg and, and like it's like a, a vision that she's having. Come to find out later on in the movie, she has a like she has a blocked memory in her mind because it was so uh, traumatic that like she's blocked it out until now. That at, at one point she was on camp, she was on Crystal Lake with her uncle, who's like the asshole character of this movie, who mm-hmm. is just like, well, uh, and I like I'm not a parent, um, but even I know that this is not the way that you go about teaching a kid to swim. But he's just like, oh hey. Uh, at the bottom of this lake is the body of this child who drowned out here and he's still down there and if you're in the lake and you don't know how to swim he'll grab you and pull you down so you should learn how to swim and then shoves her into the water it's like you fucking asshole like that's absolutely not how you teach a kid how to do this shit but then she does get grabbed by child jason who drags her under the water and is like holding her leg and she has to like fight her away away from him yeah which then brings up the question when the fuck did that happen because child jason drowned in the lake at at crystal lake in the late 50s and this movie takes place in the 90s so is she like a four-year-old teenager? Yeah, like is she like a fifty-year-old <laughs> high school student? <laughs> well, and and so well to be clear, so so but the, but doesn't the the shitty uncle say like there's a legend or or like hey a kid drowned here like that? I guess it doesn't mean that it was like it, or is it like a? I don't know. I'm not and, defending and it. Again, it just doesn't. I don't make know if it sense. literally happened. I don't like because yep. there is the point later on. She gets tossed into the. She gets tossed off the steamship into the ocean, and child Jason is in the water and grabs her and pulls her down. So like, maybe it's you know it's a, a psychotic break, and she's imagining the whole thing, and like we we don't know. But the fact that there's sort of like this introduction of Jason, um, 
in her life and like when she sees jason she recognizes like i saw you you were the one that i saw in the water as a child and stuff. so like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense no that's where it gets confusing because because you would assume this is the eighth iteration yeah. and like jason i mean jason if you're around those parts you know who the the fucking hockey mask crystal lake killer i mean we he's the killed fifth a lot movie of people. we talked about yeah he's killed a lot of people he's made the news probably the national news i would imagine and like to the point where it's like we had the copycat killer it's like people know who he is mm-hmm. and so the fact that she's like oh my god it's you as that kid and it was like you didn't know him as the hockey mask killer adult right because th- that's been going on for however many years at this point like that doesn't make any sense at all but then the whole like showing him as a kid and him drowning and also like having no consistency between the franchise or the movie itself where they show the black and white version of him like oh help i'm drowning blah and then um he's not he's not deformed because they that's how he's always yeah. been portrayed before and this one he's, he's always got, been portrayed he's got deformed. full head yep. of hair he's just a, he's just a healthy looking kid and so like oh and the other ones it always made it seem like he got bullied or picked on because he like had some sort of defect and and people like made fun of him but in this one that's totally fine but then later on in the movie he does have a defect and he looks like he did in the previous movies where like his eye is sort of out of place on his face he's got like a he looks like sloth from the goonies sort of situation going on vomits profusely vomits profusely oh my god and then oh my god that that whole thing where he so they like she throws toxic waste in his face which i don't know if you know this and watch out new yorkers because if you're anywhere downtown new york at midnight Apparently, they just flush toxic waste by the, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of gallons through the, the subway system or the, the sewer system. So don't get anywhere. We talked about we talked about Toxic Avenger in our first episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So watch, watch out. But like she hits him in the face with some. He rips his mask off and his face is like burning and melting. And he's like kind of pinballing his way down the, the hallway, which is like. Shock him with the third rail. Shoot him in the chest with a shotgun. Do anything you want. Burn his face. He's disoriented. He, he's oh, he's like barely able to stand. So the rules don't apply at any point in the movie. Uh, but then they are trying to escape the sewer system. They're climbing up the ladder. And he grabs her leg and is trying to pull her down. But then like the big wave of, of sewer toxic waste yeah. is coming and he looks over his shoulder and there's a close-up on his like ugly melted face and then he has a child's voice and says mommy don't let me drown mommy and then starts vomiting water for no real reason whatsoever and the toxic waste wave comes slams him up against the wall and knocks him down and as it washes away he's a child again it just yeah. laying on the ground and and i don't know what in the hell is happening in the last like 20 minutes of this movie. which which they would repeat in freddy versus jason yeah when when uh freddy gets the uh, uh hypnosil into jason and gets into his mind uh, of course you could argue because that being a dream that's like he gets the he he makes a waterfall because he realized Jason's afraid of water, and then he cowers and turns back into his 
uh, child self or whatever. kid. Yeah. Yeah. And then takes the mask off, and that's when Freddy, of course, has his one liner. He's like, That's a face only a mother would love, and holds the decapitated head of, of uh, Pamela Voorhees. Oh, um, but, like, but here it makes no, no. sense whatsoever. Well, and it, and it, like, it almost implies that he was a child that was sort of inside of this hulking meat carcass, like, like a, a, like a mecha suit or something. Cause mm-hmm. like when he's getting melted, he comes up and his head is more or less like frothed off and like, like gross, like burned off. And he's like, gets his right. final moment and then sinks beneath the waves. And the next time you see him, it's a kid. And so like, it sort of like implies that he's not a kid that grew up that like Jason, the adult is like a, a meat suit that grew around the child and he has always physically been a child inside of a man suit that's going around. And I don't like if that's what the movie is implying, I have no idea. But like that explanation is just as plausible as anything else that's going on in the movie. Because then like why else yeah. is there the other elements? I don't know. Or it could have been the, the snake monster from <laughs> uh, uh, part part nine that uh this was foreshadowing for for jason goes to hell i don't know it's it's i can't speak to it i haven't seen it i'm aware of it i know that it's pretty much universally hated (laughs) my my conspiracy theory um about jason goes to hell because it's not a terrible horror movie but like jason takes manhattan it's a terrible friday the 13th movie um my conspiracy theory because jason goes to hell so so jason takes manhattan that was the end of the paramount era Mm -hmm. they've been trying to get sean s cunningham had been trying to get jason under the same umbrella however way you slice it with freddy so they can make freddy versus jason so this was the point this movie did not do well new line cinema got the rights to jason but did not get the rights to friday the 13th did not get the rights to tommy jarvis and a lot of other characters and didn't get the rights to a lot of the iconography so all the new line Friday the 13th movies, except for the remake, which they combined with Paramount mm-hmm. to do, um, are all, like, really shakily related to this these first eight movies. And so that's why they're called Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, Freddy vs. Jason, because they don't have the Friday the 13th name. Right. So, long story short, my conspiracy theory about uh, Jason Goes to Hell... Because if anybody remembers anything about the movie other than the dumb steak monster and the the cold open, which is fantastic, the cold open is actually really fucking great. Um, which I won't spoil it because you haven't seen no. it, but it's it's awesome. Uh, it's all downhill from there. But if anyone remembers anything about it, they the famous ending of like there's the big standoff, the finale. Jason does die and go to hell. His mask is sitting in the sand, and the Freddy's hand, his striped arm with the claw pulls the mask down and you hear robert england's yeah. laugh um funny enough that is kane hodder's arm oh in, that makes sense. Uh, because it, uh so they just got robert england to laugh they didn't actually get yeah. him to do the the arm part of it um i think jason goes to hell was a setup for a version of freddy versus jason that we did not see because freddy versus jason was in development hell forever mm-hmm. it was in development hell for even 12 to 13 years once they were under the same roof and it was even trying to be developed before that Mm -hmm. so i think this was a lead into an iteration that never happened so it like even in the greater context of the series it makes even less sense because that the version of freddy versus jason we got has nothing to do with jason goes to hell at all other than jason is in hell at the beginning i guess freddy versus jason but 
that's it. Well, and th- it was even supposed to go farther than that, where there, it was supposed to be Freddy versus Jason versus Evil Dead. And yeah. I know that in the ninth one, uh, the Necronomicon makes an appearance. Yes. Uh, because there was eventually supposed to be a movie of, of like featuring Bruce Campbell as Ash coming in and fighting both Freddy and Jason as well. Yeah. Um, Never happened. No. <laughs> Probably I think it best, did. Honestly. I think there's a comic. I want to say there's a comic of it. Oh, okay. I think, but I don't. But it never happened in film form. And then that's that's kind of where Jason X came in because they were still trying to figure Freddy versus Jason out. Yeah. But they're like, well, shit, we got to make another Jason movie so people don't lose interest in these movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they did it, and I think maybe even people had less interest because Jason X is like a notorious like. I, I, it's a bad movie. I will see Jason yes. X. Jason X is a bad movie, but I don't think... But similarly, I think to Part 5, I don't think the, it warrants the hate it got at the time because I do think the movie is in on the joke. I don't think it's a yes. very good joke, but it's in on the joke where people were like, this is fucking terrible. And I was like, well, yep. yeah, they they know it's... It's Jason in space. It's Jason in space. They it's know high art. <laughs> they know that going yeah. in. Like, you can accept it and really enjoy it if you so choose. It's, again, like I've already said, it's not my cup of tea. It's not your no. cup of tea. But it's like, but they're in on the joke of that movie. Right. So I think that one gets unnecessary flack. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, they know it's stupid. Like, they're not questioning it. And then, of course, Fre- and of course, Freddy vs. Jason, to bring it full circle, is the first one I ever saw. Um, which it's like you really only need bare bone knowledge of Friday the 13th to enjoy that oh, yeah. movie. It's it's a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel through and through. Yeah. It takes place in Springwood. The kids are all like uh, traumatized by Freddy or a family member related to Freddy. They're covering mm-hmm. up Freddy. Mer- like it, it is a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel guest starring Jason. Well, and it's uh, one thing. I don't know if this is end up in the episode or not, but I wanted to go back because you did say that in part nine, there's the part where uh, his claw comes up and it, it's Robert England's laugh. Yep. Totally forgot that at the beginning of part eight, when uh, Jason gets revived at the bottom of Crystal Lake and starts swimming up, there is a sound clip of him laughing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which is... Makes Jason no sense. doesn't talk or make any sounds or anything, but he's like, oh, 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 like swimming up to the surface. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> that make. Should, that should tell you everything you need to know about the movie before it's even kicked off. No, I'm um, glad you brought that up because that, that I forgot about that, <laughs> and that is so stupid. Like even again, even in the context, I think that's the biggest thing about Part Eight is like these are stupid movies. Even in the context of that, it's like extra stupid and very stupid, and that's what where it comes down to. Well, um, and. Um, but to the point of Freddy versus Jason, because we need to get to the last two movies of, of this series, um, I do think it's kind of cool and it's kind of interesting that like when they finally did get these characters together, that they made it a, a Freddy movie. Because Freddy, of course, as a character that has a personality, he's going to be much more likely to have an arc than what Jason is. Like We've seen them try to give Jason an arc and it's, it's terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But they can do that better with Freddy. But not only that, like the point of the movie is people have forgotten about me so i need to use somebody who's more relevant in the like you know the lexicon to remind people of me and bring me back so like the movie sort of is like a a narrative about like the current state of things because like the last jason movie had been out you know uh, just a few years before uh freddy versus jason the last nightmare on elm street movie was I don't know how many years before Freddy vs. Seven Jason. or no, excuse me, almost ten. Uh, New Nightmare was ninety four. Yeah. So um, 
almost yes. a decade of silence out of out of Freddy Krueger, it makes sense sort of that the whole arc of the story is that like, well, this guy's still making movies. If I can like use him as a catalyst to come back to the big screen, aka yep. come back to continue my kills. So like I can I I can appreciate a lot of sort of the setup and stuff that's going on with Freddy versus Jason because like what a bonkers fucking concept to take two slasher series and smash them together and, and have both mm-hmm. of these like icons appear on the screen together. But if you're gonna do it, that's just about like the smartest narrative way that you could do such a thing. I think so, and I honestly it, it's funny because I I guess the one thing I would say that I don't like about Freddy versus Jason is I think some of the dream sequences or at least like some of the look of it is pretty unimaginative. But I think yeah. like they do a lot of they, they make up for it in a lot of ways and I think it's funny because I, I think what helps is you they didn't get somebody who could indulge because they were a fan of both movies uh, so uh, Freddy vs. Jason was directed by Ronnie Yu who, who who did like a ton of terrific movies prior to his horror stint but most famously did Bride of Chucky a couple years before which Bride oh, of yeah. Chucky reinvigorated the Child's Play series um, mm-hmm. it's arguably one of the best ones after the first one and so they got Ronnie Yu and Ronnie Yu has gone on record at the time when he was filming and he got the gig. He wasn't a fan of Freddy or Jason. He wasn't a big fan of either franchises. Uh, he came after he made it to appreciate both of them. But I think having someone who's a little bit sort of disassociated from the two of them, but could also kind of look at it objectively and say, like, okay, what is going to work for the best story? Mm-hmm. And I think as far as a movie putting Freddy and Jason together, I really do think it's one of the best you could hope for to be honest in a way that makes logical plausible sense within the two parameters of the series and i think it it works i think it's a fun movie um and there is a clear winner so people at least get that i mean yeah it's a you know we get the the teaser stinger at the end of the movie but jason wins the fight yeah um and and it makes sense because we talked about this briefly before we stepped on a record of like you know jason you know, I mean, obviously Jason has a high kill count. Jason is a villain, but Jason is also a victim of circumstances. He did not ask to be drowned. He did not ask for any of that to happen. And so right. he's getting vengeance over the things that, um, you know, that were wronged him. Whereas Freddy is just straight up evil incarnate and he loves it. He loves being evil and has no bones about it. So, of course, you're going to, of those two, you're going to be more up to make Jason a quote unquote hero because right. he's a bit more empathetic versus somebody who's a straight up child murderer and child molester. Right. Like, of course, you're going to fucking like be like, that guy is evil. So, right. yeah. <laughs> we're yeah, going Jason's to make him just, evil. Jason's just a mad dog. He, he yeah. Just, you, you let him loose. And that's exactly what Freddy uses him for in this movie is that I'm going to let him loose. And he's going to yep. do what he does, which is he's going to go to Elm Street. Yep, he's going to Elm Street and kill people, and then people are going to be reminded of the murders, um, because as we know from the Nightmare series, uh, fear is what gives Freddy his power, and they've pretty much they've blacked out old newspaper articles. They've like given hypnosil to all the yeah. kids who somewhat remember. They're like, we are burying him. Right. <laughs> Nobody is going to remember him. And so that's that's the crux of that movie. Um, and then I guess lastly, the the Platinum Dunes remake, um, which is fine. I, I, I think yeah. it's a like like it's like I said, it's 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 weird rewatching it when I rewatched the whole series last um, mm-hmm. because I think it's a fine Friday the Thirteenth movie. Um, it's certainly one of the better if not the best platinum dunes remakes it's not really saying a whole lot because i don't hold those in high esteem i think they're largely terrible but Mm -hmm. um (laughs) i don't think this one is bad 
but it was funny rewatching it being like okay if i came to this movie cold which i kind of did i i'd only seen the first and freddy versus jason when i saw this it doesn't really like it's like a it doesn't work as its own narrative i guess is what i'm saying like it it does from the standpoint of like it's the atypical setup of okay a bunch of kids are going out to a cabin in the woods and jason's gonna kill them the central conceit is there but there's so many like references and easter eggs and it's like it's also like a t- one of those 20 minute title card drop movies where it's yeah. like they don't drop the title until there's like the the there's like a flashback like they basically truncate one and two into this prologue where like yeah. you have uh essentially alice a version of alice talking with pamela Voorhees, and they, she gets decapitated and then the kids go out, a bunch of them are going out to harvest pot because it's 2009. Um, and then they do, like, Jason's got a ba- uh, sack. It's a burlap sack over his mm-hmm. head in it. Um, and there's some gnarly deaths. They recreate some of them in ways. They do the sleeping bag kill. And they do, like, a couple other, like, famous deaths in that moment. Boom, title card. And then it's pretty much a remake of 3 and 4 for the rest of the movie. Yep. But I'm like, this doesn't really stand on its own two feet as its own movie. It's just a bunch of like member berries of the movies you have seen. So it's a little odd, but I do think it's like, it's against my expectations. It's the better of the Platinum Dunes remakes, Yeah. which is kind of a backhanded compliment, but it's what it is. <laughs> well, and I, 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 I kind of wanted to refrain from saying too much about it because I... I did at one point plan to have a Platinum Dunes uh, horror classic remake. Right, right. Sorry, episode. I shouldn't have gone too long about no, it. No, no, you're good. I, I honestly don't know if this... I, I, I need to go back and rewatch them uh, and, and see if there's a better example. Because, like, the Platinum Dunes remakes aren't great. Like, not a no. single one of them. Um, but of them, I think that this is one of the better ones and for, like, a, a couple of different reasons. Um, I personally really like the cold open of introducing us to a cast of characters who we think are going to be our cast of characters. They meet the archetypes that we recognize from the previous slashers and then they all get fucking brutally iced. Like, yeah. We do like that. Yeah. Um, and Jason is intimidating and he is, he's quick. He yep. is ruthless and brutal. He is setting traps. Like this is the smartest Jason. Oh yeah. The bear the trap series. scene is gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, like this Jason is so much scarier than any of the, like he's the crazed man in the forest, but he takes it up a notch by, by being, um, uh, just as elusive, just as uh, smart and cunning and, uh, just, just quick to get to you. And he just wants to get you out of there. He's not toying with his food. He's there to kill you. And he's very serious about it. So I really yeah. appreciate that about the characterization of Jared, uh, of Jared, of Jason. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know who Jared Are, is. Um, well, the Jared Paladacki, or however you pronounce his name, is oh, in yeah. the remake. So. Supernatural uh, yeah. uh, alumni. Uh, uh, is that where he's wife, from? Give Never my seen wife it. a reason to watch it. I've, I've seen it in the background because there's like 87 seasons of it or something. And my God, wife really enjoys I, it. Yeah, I know um, there's a lot of seasons of it, but I've never seen a single second of it. Um, but my 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 adoration and uh, you know enjoyment of the the remake of the movies start and stop with the characterization of, of Jason, and pretty much everything else about the movie sucks pretty hard. And I think. <laughs> I think a, a huge portion of that issue lies pretty squarely with this being a Michael Bay production and the characters being just 
horrendous, unlikable douchebags. Yeah. Uh, they're just being gratuitous boobs out of out of like there's gratuitous boobs in the series already. We already talked about the like Showtime or whatever, but like there's just an extended scene of uh, of a woman topless uh, just uh, surfing um, uh, across the lake. And then when she gets <laughs> the best kill in the movie outside of the bear trap, though. She gets the machete in the head, and then it and then it pulls it her up and up. shows her boobs, and it's just like, <laughs> what could what could be like a, a like a shocking moment or a sad moment because that a character gets killed just gets intermingled with like and boobs. Look yeah, at it's because it's, it's Michael Bay's <laughs> sense of humor is terrible. Like that's the, the thing. It's like this this series already has sort of a baseline sleaze so you actually kind of think yes. oh that might actually work because he's a pretty sleazy filmmaker in and of itself but it's like but it's a lot of the characterizations it's like the, sometimes when when his movies that work are about like a greater nastier worldview it's sure. at least accidentally fascinating whereas like this one it's like oh it's just annoying like the, the characters are about as annoying as something like the the earlier transformers movies mm-hmm. like it, like it's it's pretty pretty bad um yeah but it's it is like you said it's sleek it is sleek in that like michael bay way sure. um and and the the depiction of jason is kind of cool and i do think there are some good deaths i i agree that kill is pretty sleazy and a bad joke I also kind of like I I did laugh. I remember watching it in the theater and I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> this is where we're at. Why not? Yeah. So <laughs> I I think for me it's just like the whiplash of uh the the first portion of the movie that where they also have gratuitous boobs in, in like the first portion of the movie as well, but oh, then yeah. like it it very suddenly sort of turning on its head and becoming like oh shit like that is a terrifying man running out of the forest with a. Uh, the town that dreaded sundown sack on the head, swinging his machete around. People are stuck in bear traps. Somebody's hung over a fire in a sleeping bag so they can roast to death. Like it is yep. like, oh fuck! We went from zero to sixty. It almost it almost felt like we're going to introduce elements that you might be familiar with with the earlier movies, and then we're going to kill them all off in the first twenty minutes and start it over and and be like, no, like we're not making that type of movie. We're gonna we're gonna introduce it here for a nostalgic purpose, end it, and then move on to something new or something different or something that's actually legitimately scary with the rest of the movie. But then they don't. They like yeah. redo the first twenty minutes and stretch it for another sixty. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it's... I I wish you would have subverted it and done something interesting. Yeah, the rest doesn't live up to that that first twenty minutes. But the first twenty yeah. minutes alone make it Real good. The, the better of the Platinum Dunes remakes. I think that's yeah. that's for sure. Um, I know we went very long. Do you have yeah. any other thoughts on the series, or, or I mean, I think we laid it bare pretty, pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we said up top, or I said up top, or I didn't say up top. I said somewhere around minute forty uh, that we're probably going <laughs> to run pretty long because I know that we had a lot to talk about. But uh, I mean, this is the first of our episodes where we've tackled really a series, and mm-hmm. uh, there will be others. Well, I mean, we touched on Halloween and, and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe we'll give those a deeper dive. Uh, you know, there's the Bond series. There's other things throughout, probably the the our own series that we'll we'll probably touch on. But I think that this is a really good introduction to sort of a, a series episode because many people at one point or another have seen a Friday the Thirteenth movie or they're familiar with the character or they they more or less know what it's about. And I think sort of going through and, and tackling uh, the highs and lows of the series, which really on either end of it are very high uh or very low um it's very much you know cinematic pizza 
of you know come in you're you're going to get something out of it to, to one degree or another i'm glad that this is something that we tackled and we're able to talk about especially because i'm not i wouldn't say a huge fan uh, i don't think you're a huge fan i there's things that I respect about the series. There's things I dislike about the series. Um, so to be able to sort of discuss it at length and, and sort of break down, I think, why it's iconic, but why it's also not... It's not high art. It's not, like, the, the greatest thing to grace the screen, but it's definitely enjoyable, and I, and I hope the episode uh, is also able to... Uh, reach similar levels of enjoyment. I hope this I, I, isn't the podcast equivalent of Friday the 13th Part 8. Uh, hopefully. I, it is in that it might be too long, but I do think that, uh, yeah, I hope the episode is enjoyable for people. And, and similarly, like, uh, you know, it's not my favorite horror series as I kind of laid at the top. Like, I, I actually really didn't like the series for a long time. I really have come to appreciate it. Uh, I think there is something enjoyable about every single one. Yes, even part eight, which does stink as we, you know, laid out. But I do, I do think it's enjoyable. Again, I think because I, I, I know I already mentioned this as well, but I think it's because of the lack of pretension. It's because these filmmakers really know exactly what they were making. They didn't try and like reinvent the wheel. They were like, okay, mm -hmm. we're gonna have a good time with it, and it's more or less been. Uh, uh, effective to me and it's like I've, I've come across it more of a fan i mean i have a framed poster of part eight in my garage uh mainly right. because i mean uh, pro tip i guess for anybody who's looking to decorate their house with movie memorabilia if you're a fan of a particular series and you want to get a original poster on ebay because they can get pretty expensive uh find the entry that people don't like because at least you have cool art because that poster for jason takes manhattan pretty fucking awesome it's great it, it is indicative of a movie that you don't see but the poster <laughs> is awesome so yeah find this whatever series you like you want a poster find the worst entry i guarantee you could find it for a reasonable price um but before we sign out we got to tease next week's episode and yeah. it is come around to my pick uh this time out i believe and we are going to talk about action vanity projects so these are specifically going to be action stars or stars in air quotes um who who either they acted and they either directed the movie or they had a very high creative hand in the movie whether that was control of the production wrote the movie whatever the case may be uh so we're going to be looking at the the good the bad and the what of uh, uh vanity maybe delusional uh action movies <laughs> Um, in one instance at least i know it's not maybe delusional oh the one is particular the other two are questionable for sure one is very <laughs> delusional and i look forward to diving into that oh, yeah. next week um but in the meantime you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, anchor.fm google podcasts and many others you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at the good bad what you could email us at the good the bad the what at gmail.com if you're feeling generous and want to support the show we have a donations tab on our website and all donations will go back into the show whether that's to offset the cost of running movies we discuss or upgrading our equipment our logo comes from michelle parkos and our theme music comes from paco whose portfolio and sound cut link you can find in the show notes respectively chris where can more people follow you online if they so choose yeah if you so choose you can follow me on twitter at t-h-o christo 89 or you can find me on letterboxd at c underscore t-h-o-m and you could follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Riley90. That's R-Y-O-L-L-I-E 90. And we'll be back next week with Action Vanity Projects. But in the meantime, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. You're doomed. You're doomed.